0: Off The Cover Podcast with me, your host Michelle Walker. This podcast is for anyone who wants to gain first-rate information on how to achieve your dream body. I want to expand your understanding on the health and fitness industry. This podcast will feature fitness professionals and we will delve into everything you need to know about health, nutrition, exercise and something I'm passionate about, bodybuilding and bro science. So sit back, relax and enjoy welcome to Coaches off the cuff and honestly it's an absolute pleasure to have you on here and um, thank
1: you yeah it really
0: is and here. i've been spending the last couple of weeks catching up with some of your podcasts and listening in as and when i can and um, as you as of you have got to know me i'm a little bit of a bodybuilding geek and um, yes, you are. <laughs> yes you
2: are. i love it yeah
0: <laughs> um i'm just literally like a sponge i want to know a lot about it and I know that my listeners and my clients of course are going to pick a lot up from listening to you so I just wanted to speak about some topics that we've got on the agenda however we we know we're going to go off the cuff and speak and, and that's what I want it yeah. to be you know as casual as as we like um but first let's begin to introduce you um to you know to the podcast and just tell us a little bit about yourself
2: I too. I, I, am Scott. I'm 51 and, and I am a bodybuilding nerd as well. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely. Yes. And, and it's, it's funny. It's funny how human psychology kind of works because people attribute um, like Matt, this massive intelligence to me sometimes, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just that I have the same thing. I have the gift of curiosity that you do and with that, I have like an unlimited drive to learn and bring new things into my mind. The thing I was telling somebody, I was actually, um, I was at a, it was a, actually a German Stammtisch. We're talking in German and people are like, what do you do? And it's, it's kind of nice to be able to talk to people who know nothing about me, you know, in any way, shape or form outside the bodybuilding world. And, and I sort of kind of had to explain, it's just that I've been around so long and have heard you know, the questions asked again and again and again, like the same yeah. questions bring, being asked 20 years ago, before there was an Internet, the questions were being asked. And I was looking into them then. And once you've seen a question that for some people might be a relatively new concept, if I've seen it for, you know, 30 years and it delved into it and gotten nuances from it and heard thousands of opinions or read thousands of opinions, had hundreds of clients experience it, mm-hmm. what have you. Then it's like, wow, this guy knows so much. Like, he's so smart. It's like, no, we just, I'm just an old dog, you know, who's been around learning the same stuff. So um, what that curiosity, I'll just give people the, um, this is another reason why people sort of attribute intelligence is I was so curious that I stuck around and was a glutton for educational punishment. Um, basically, I was in school until I was 35.
0: Wow. Um,
2: so I just wanted to become the world's greatest personal trainer back in the 90s when there was no such thing as an internet, really. Um, I remember hoarding apps and hoarding information on floppy disks and <laughs> the internet first came about because one of my, my business management, I had a business management class when I was in grad school at Texas, I was in like in a general master's degree. And she's like, Oh, you, you might want to, you're going to save that information. Cause they'll start charging. And she was right in part, but she's like, she didn't realize that those apps were going to be completely useless in you know two or three years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I learned that I love to teach. I was teaching anatomy and physiology and I was t- personal training people back in like they started in like 92, 93, like right after college, pretty much formally. And I've been training for, oh gosh, a dozen years by that time already. Cause I started with training when I was a kid at 11. So, um, I decided to go for a PhD because I realized the more, you know, the more you realize, the less, you know, that you hardly know anything. So I just kept on going. I found a great I uh, talk about Gary Dudley, my mentor for my PhD all the time. He's passed on now, but he Gary gave me such a great start in terms of learning how to learn. And I'll toss a, I'll toss it um, just for perspective for, mm-hmm. and this, this is something your clients and people who are listening in now probably they probably don't need the reminder of this They're probably already in the sort of same camp that you and I are, but Dudley um, basically just let people figure things out on their own. He'd let them struggle. It's like throw someone in the water until they're, you know, until they're on a the verge of drowning and then say, Hey, you're moving around this way. And then they come back up for air and they can go. And soon enough, they're swimming really, really well, all on their own. And they learn how to do it. They weren't given floaties. So they weren't given fish. They were, they were taught how to fish. <laughs> When he did his PhD he told me like literally he arrived. this is like you know we would go out like drinking and hanging out you know um, on the side after a long weekends of work whatever and uh, he literally arrived with a guy with the name Ron Turyong who was like the old old guy then very experienced, well renowned and he said he just said, okay, here's the key the labs down the hall um, have at it. Literally that was it. The lab manuals in there, you know, you figure out how the equipment works. you got to come up with, you have to be a self-starter and do things on your own Mm -hmm. and, and having that ability, then you, not that you really want to see yourself as an Island per se, because there's obviously some negatives to that. We'll learn from as many others possibly can, but being the driving and motive force of your own learning path is the way to go. I think Yeah. And if you've got a, a built-in dangling carrot, like innate curiosity, well, then then you're ready to roll. Then you're a machine on the learning on the road of learning. So along the way, I finished that. Um, I was a college professor for a little while. I owned a gym for like four years. Um, I became an acupuncturist. So sort of at a crux, I had, I'd paid my dues. I did my postdoc work, did my PhD. I got a nice job. I w- it was on a tenure track. I would have for sure pretty much gotten tenure because it was a very teaching oriented school and I was doing well in my teaching. And um, but it was going to be, where do you want to do with your with your extracurricular, so to speak? And I realized that helping people was where I wanted to be and teaching, teaching was fine. But um I thought, you know, PhD and you got to watch out for this. I'm but I'm Dr. Stevenson you may even said, maybe it wasn't you, someone said something about we'll learn a doctor's viewpoint on this. And I'm not quote unquote, a doctor, I'm just a PhD. But actually, sort of I am, I'm an mm-hmm. acupuncture physician now, which is where <laughs> this is going. Um, I was going to become an RD, I wanted to be able to incorporate nutrition and in whatever it is I was studying whatever community outreach I was doing. And then that led me to realize that, you know, there's a there's a view, there's a possibility to become an acupuncturist, which is a holistic form of medicine, where I can literally, I learned body work or you know, body work. So I'm board certified in, in Twain Ah, and there's herbals, which is sort of the, the natural equivalent of medicine. So it's sort of like a prescribing physician, but you're looking at it from a holistic point of view and nutrition fits in. So as mm-hmm. an acupuncturist, you can do nutrition. Um, and there's also exercise. So Qigong, um, th- uh, Tai Chi, things of that nature. So I did that, did that for a few years while I owned my gym. And um, since then the bodybuilding thing has just kind of taken off. So for the last Roughly 10 years, it's been mainly bodybuilding and writing the books and those sorts of things, coaching people and lots of podcasts. Lots, 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 of, lots podcasts. of
3: podcasts.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. But I love them. It's just like geek out time. So,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's go into one of our subjects then. Um, okay. We, you know, we've got quite a lot to talk about. So I think I'm going to have clients sitting at the edge of their seat live waiting to hear about exit prep, you know, what's your take on post-show and, you know, I want them to hear what is happening hormonally to their, you know, because some are stronger than the others, some might fall off the wagon a little bit and pick themselves back up. So what is your take on a competitor leaving a show and what do you feel should be done?
2: Ah, well, first assess the individual. Cookie cutter um, strategies don't necessarily work. Some, they'll fit somebody. That, I mean, there's there's going to be some segment of the bell curve, so to speak, where they're going to work. Um, so first and foremost, the thing that's like right after you're done with the show, how many people are worried about what they're going to eat? And that's that's because simply you've not had that thing. It could have been like... I don't know you tell someone you can't use the spare bathroom ever in your house for the next three months and like like so but you have a bathroom you can use it's just that it was a forbidden fruit of sorts it was something you can't do you're just dying to know what's going on in that bathroom even though it makes no difference if you if you never would have used the bathroom in the first place it wouldn't have been on your radar psychologically Mm -hmm. speaking Mm -hmm. so that is something that is sort of setting in with people and um can I tell a funny story? Can I go on a tangent? Yeah, do on? it. Yeah, yeah. So this was my very first show and I don't maybe she'll listen, I don't know. Um so I did this with a person I was in grad school with. Um and she did bo- women's bodybuilding. This was a, a national show in 96, 97 when we were in grad. We had to do this under the radar when we were in grad school because it would have taken away from our studies and our focus. Anyway, she Loved candy, sweets, the sweet sweet tooth. She had multiple copies of the sweet tooth genes all over the place for her. (laughs) So she had gone and she dieted. She dieted terribly. You know, she she wasn't sure what she wanted to do. She like doubted herself and went on the diet and off the diet. So she was eating like nothing but canned tuna for like two weeks before the show or something. It was ridiculous.
0: Yeah, robotic. She
2: she said yeah. She set herself up and but she went went to the candy aisle at the grocery store and bought like bags of candy. Cause she wanted to make sure she had whatever kind she wanted to have after the show. So we got done. She actually was first and I was at the very end of the show. It was a pretty long show. So she finished, she won. She was mm-hmm. super happy. Fantastic. She had a giant duffel bag full of <laughs> bags of candy. She probably had like 10 or 12 ba- pounds of candy in her bag. And she just, well, she's just started snacking on candy while she's waiting for the show to go. And everyone got to do a posing routine at this show. So it was like, I feel like four hours of nothing but, but snacking on candy, like continuously. Oh, she was a, a picker. It's so like, I think I'll have one of those I'm one of those. Then we went out and we had like, you know, went to a bar and get like a sports bar. Everything was open. Had a burger or whatever and a beer. And she ate a little bit there. Not a lot because she ate a lot of candy. And we were back in the hotel and um, went to sleep. I woke up. I had to use the bathroom. I went to open the bathroom door and it was locked. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? I kind of yeah, look. She's not gone. in the bed. She looked, She See where this going? She she, she she actually I don't know I don't if she had GI issues that were that bad, but she's like she's like don't come in. I'm like I have to use the bathroom. She's like you can't come in here. I've got gas that's so bad. Her gas was so atrocious that she locked herself in the bathroom oh my because word. she was just outside. And I had I had to literally put my clothes on and go down to the lobby and use the the public restroom because she would not let me in there so bad. So there's this food focus afterwards. And some people that's going to be easily controllable. Others not. Most people have at least sort of one moment when they trip because it's a brand new experience to have have a situation, for instance, where you can eat until your stomach feels like it's about to burst. And you notice no dent in your actual hunger. You're not satiated at all.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That's that can be a scary a place for people. So, yeah. um, so that's one you know one segment where one type of individual. We're planning literally. The show is not the end. The show is just one of the stops along the way, and the post-contest period. And this is why I have this as literally the first primary chapter in my book, is a penultimate importance especially for folks who fall into that camp and many it's just natural to think as the think of the competition as the pinnacle so to speak at your arrival point point. and many coaching plans even will only run we're going to give you 12 week prep and then you know we get you there it's like we're going to walk you up the top of mount olympus and then or, or you know the pike's peak or what have you at the top of the Himalayas and like, okay, I'll see you later. And your shirt but <laughs> just takes off. I've... Like, well, I got to get back down again, yeah. you know? And ironically enough, like is what, that's where you get sore is climbing, going down a mountain, not mm. uh, going up. People who would do the pike, there's a pike's peak run, there's a pike's peak marathon you can do here in the States. And people will train for that and they'll train on stairs or they'll use like a stair mill, you know, and those sorts of things but they don't train the eccentric so they don't get the protective effect and they get destroyed. Like literally people have gone to the hospital with rhabdo and renal failure. So anyway, that's an important, that could be the most important thing to plan ahead for and think about what you're going to do. Know what, what demons may await you in terms of possible eating disorders or at least disordered eating the person might have know that, you know what, you're going to have a hunger that is gonna be really outrageous. And a lot of that is obviously physiological mm-hmm. and your, your leptin levels will be just you know down. Like if you're a woman who's lost her menstrual ovarian per- mm-hmm. cycling, then that's gonna you know, be kind of coming back and come back with a vengeance in very odd and unusual ways. You can have really a very oligomenorrheic type pattern. So it's just to know, be able to step outside yourself as a third person, say, okay, things could be very, very wonky here, so to speak. Yeah. Afterwards, yeah. and just realize that this is a normal wonkiness. And, you know, it's <laughs> kind of like the, that to
0: one of my clients. Yeah, it's normal being wonky.
2: <laughs> yes, it's it's sort of like you know that the road is going to be bumpy, so you're not like you're, if you're expecting a smooth smooth sailing, you're not thinking is the suspension out in my vehicle or do I have a flat tire? Because it certainly feels like I got a flat tire the way this road feels. But yeah. it's it's partially you, but it's also just you know the road, just how it is. Yeah. So having all those pieces in place and then um, another aspect of that to consider is is the fact that and this goes with the planning part is that you've now you've no longer got this dangling carrot. You no, no longer got this goal. And um, it's interesting. We, our brains work um, sort of in very bizarre ways. <laughs> um, the gratification of reward of, of things just is just on a basic neurological level. This comes just from like, you know, the, the studies where they hooked up electrodes to the reward centers of, ro- of rodents um, and, uh, you know, where they can press a pedal and they'll just go in there and click that thing until they die. Mm-hmm. Um, various studies that have spun out from that is that the, 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 the pleasure centers are highly activated with the anticipata- anticipation of the reward. And when we actually get what it is you seek. Then those centers, their activity goes down that's the, that's the crazy thing. So this idea that, Ooh, I'm going to go and I win, um, or I achieve And many people will probably, if they haven't won a show or been in that particular Mm. situation, they may have had some giant life accomplishment. And very oftentimes it's like, Oh, okay. Well that didn't like fulfill me in the way I thought it was going to like, my life isn't now up to a a higher level. And that's a basic neurological phenomenon. That's what sort of keeps our brains working is to constantly have a dangling carrot in front of us, um, people can look up the hedonic treadmill, too, if they want to. And, and that's a psychological phenomenon we can get into if you want. Okay. But having a, a, a surrogate um, carrot that dang, that you're dangling, that you have in mind, off-season goals or something that you want to do, places you want to be, particular goals a month or just two weeks mm-hmm. or two, three, three months after the show can take the place. So when you, when you've got the, the show carrot vanishes and you got your placing and you're very, very happy. It's not this, oh shit, you just fall completely flat. And now guess what? Your pleasure centers, they want, they need satisfaction. They need something. Um, I mean, this is, this is why like people, when people go on in relationships, they'll go on, they'll rebound, you know, they're on the rebound and they go out and they just have, <laughs> you know, crazy sex things they wouldn't normally do, but. You know, they've, they've got it there's somehow they've got to replace the activity that was there in that relationship. So just being aware that that's sort of how our brains work. We can, we can, we can be proactive and set up intermediate goals after the show. So that's like, when that could make, that could manifest in multiple ways. It could be some people do it if, especially like a bikini competitor can do this really, really well, as opposed to maybe a high level bodybuilder. It could be, we're going to, I've got a mud run that I'm going to start training for three weeks after the show, you know, or a CrossFit type competition. And if they can mm-hmm. do that without getting injured um, or powerlifting, even if they need to put on some size, okay, you know, I'm going to, but I need to keep myself under a weight limit. I'm not going to go from, I'm, I'm, I'm 120 pounds. Now I'm not going to try to go to the 198s or whatever, um, whatever the, the limit might be. So something that will that fits with the idea of not having a massive rebound after a show that's unhealthy, um, And then you've got something new to do that's like, wow, this is something good. I've got another thing that's left in my life. Bodybuilding or competing physique competition isn't the end all be all. It hasn't literally, um, without that, my life is void of meaning and a dangling carrot, so to speak. Yeah. So I can ramble on more. I got more on this. Go for it. I I, I think uh,
0: (laughs) it's just an interesting point that you make. I never really put it like that with the, you know, we've always got something to aim for, whether that is coming out of Pro show into off season. I think that's just the hardest part. I think it's important for us to, you know, rightly point out, especially new competitors, that you know the prep bit is easier than the exit prep. You know that that is is so easy, isn't it? To you know Mm -hmm. beat yourself up about having something that's not tracked or going out and having a social meal with you know your friends because they want to celebrate your win. But then they're sitting there, you know, shaking in the boots because they're having something outside of what the, the norm is. So mm-hmm. I think my point this week, especially to my clients, was the fact that it's OK. You're not acting. You're not acting like a bad school girl. You know, you're <laughs> you, you know, you're acting. It's normal behavior. And it doesn't right. mean that you've thrown away your your you know, everything that you've earned by just having one meal. So I I think it's, I just want to educate because I'm I'm an experienced athlete and I know that, you know, I know all of this, but that's easy for me to say, but trying to portray that to especially first timers, it's quite hard.
2: Yes. Um, And just, just to know, like you said, that you're going to, you're, you're a beginner, you're going to make mistakes, Mm. you know, and it's okay. There's the abstinence violation effect which really plays a role here. And you may have heard me talk about this before. Yeah. Um, so that's all, just for those who haven't heard me or, or don't know of it. So that it kind of comes the, the quintessential example is the smoking cessation um, situation where someone's been smoking. So they're trying to abstain from something. In this case, the competitor might be trying to abstain from meals that are off that are cheap meals that are not on plan, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And once you violated that abstinence, there's a psychological phenomenon where you just kind of say, Oh, screw it. Fuck it. I'm going for it. And then you just think the one meal has ruined everything. Yeah. And you just, you just lay in and you lose control, so to speak. And the thing is, you know, and depending on the person, the idea is, is, you know, you, you got to think about the big picture. Where, how do you want to live your life? Where do you, where do you, where do you drive gratification? And some people, <clears throat> I mean at one end of the spectrum we can we call this pathological but people have OCD and they need to have absolute patterns and structure about everything and mm-hmm. you know when it's getting in the way of your quality of life then that would be considered pathological I think at least in my, my mind but having some level of patterning and regularity makes sense for many people It's just we want to have structure in our life it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a characteristic of our brains to mm-hmm. seek that out in varying degrees so it's okay to have, A pattern in your diet you don't have to say well you know now now my new challenge is to like literally have this incredible self-control and discipline whereby i can just have no pattern and i still keep Mm -hmm. myself looking lean and i have a slow rebound you can still have have a pattern in there and it's totally fine that's normal because you're probably if you're in this endeavor you probably have so you're probably a bit of a control freak in some way, shape, or form. I know I yeah. am, yeah. you know, I like to <laughs> fiddle with things and that's sort of my control, how my control freak manifests Yeah. the way um, just to kind of get in the nuts and bolts. Cause it keeps on popping into my head. The way that I typically address this is I use the accounting practices of nutrient timing. So what I, what I typically do there, and I've explained this several times, this is in my book. It's in actually both of my books. I use the same kind of approach where and you got, there kind of two things that happen with this. This It's just one way to skin the cat. It doesn't necessarily have to be this way for everyone, but is I will keep people, it depends on how many times a day they, how many times a week they train. But for someone who trains four times a week, like with four to two training or three times a week, this works really well. It can be done differently. If you train, let's say you train six times a week, which could be mm-hmm. the case. You may have three days a week that are the muscle groups that you're trying to prioritize, bringing up this is the goal you set for this off season and on those days you're going to have higher caloric levels and those would be the days where you also go out and spend time with family friends maybe try to repair those social connections or family relationships or other relationships because yeah. food is a centerpiece of our social world from yeah, for many absolutely. people yeah absolutely yeah so you would then let's say it's you know four times a week you train and three of those days are going to be big bigger food days and the other day is you know, it's like, it's a calves and abs and arms workout or something like that. So it's not that big of a deal. You would keep your diet as you come off of your competition into your, your post contest period, pretty much the same yeah. on those non-training days. And then add in an intra workout if you're not using one, um, which is nice because that will cut back on some of your post-workout hunger. So you just sort of, and, and there's reasons for that. That's a whole body of literature. That's, you know, whole other conversation. And then have a post-workout meal with family, with friends, that has probably some limits to it. It's not an all-you-can-eat, because that could end up being, if it's honestly an all-you-can-eat, it'd be outrageous.
0: Yeah, don't tell my um, clients that.
2: Yeah, I, I, there's another funny, people can probably said, find The doctor
0: said, go and eat. Yeah,
2: yeah, well, you know, you don't want to do that. That's an all-you-can-eat <laughs> is really something, you know, for late in, like, at an off-season when someone's really having trouble gaining weight you want to be careful that you don't like kind of inadvertently make yourself into an operantly conditioned blab rat and that you feel like you need to earn your food mm-hmm. by training. Like I can only, I only get to eat if I trained in a way that, that, and that, and the flip side of that, of course, is like, if I ate too much, then I go and do cardio to counteract it or what have you. That's not a pattern you want to be in, Yeah. but it's a way to sort of um, connect things physiologically with some of the psychological um uh, desires that you have literally, um, and here's the thing is if, if you have even, let's say your goal is just your, the carrot that you have in your post-contest period is just half as, um, uh, intriguing to you and desirable for you as your, as your contest, then you're not going to be able to like, keep that desire for something, some kind of reward as under wraps as you would otherwise you're, mm-hmm. you're cause it's like, okay, I made a kind of a goal, but the mud runs not nearly as big to me as like, you know, the champion, the the state championships or the, you know, the, the NABA championships or what have you. Yeah. So feeding and recognizing that your brain wants those biochemical rewards. You can do that with those meals, like literally have a meal because most of the meals may never even really truly be satisfying. You may be getting to a three out of 10 as far as your satisfaction with the meal. You can have a meal you don't want to make it into a 5,000 calorie meal, but you can have a meal that, that takes care of that, that biochemical yeah. need. And just basically this is a very um, just a mindfulness based approach to say, you know what, just kind of like I've, I've got a cut and I need to put some Bactine on there. I need to sterilize it and I'm going to need to treat it with something. I've got some antibacterial gel that I'm going to put on there because it's just part of my basic physiology. I've got a, an injury. You've almost kind of got a, a a neurochemical injury, a longing, a <laughs> hole that needs to be like, you need to put some cotton in there because mm-hmm. to fill up the hole as it heals itself during this is an analogy I've never come up with, but it's it just of so things, great. I love it. Yeah. But you sort of have to reckon it's like, you know, it's normal. I'm going to eat and I'm not going to, I'm never going to unless I just kill myself and what with the food and the problem there, of course, is then you feel, you feel really bad when you've eaten that much most of the time, it satisfies the brain for a while, but like you hear yeah. sure that in that overstuff, which probably, about half of America is today because it's just after Thanksgiving here. That's not a fun place to be at all. That's no. um, yeah And as, as an aside, most people it's sort of like you need to learn that the hard way it seems like most people will. That's a good thing to just remember, be consciously and be, be aware of that you know if I really just if I did what I'm longing to do, I felt horrible every single time I did that yeah it never worked out that I just felt great make every once in a while maybe it will but recognize that your brain is you you it's just one of the sort of dangers of the sport is you're pushing way past way below your set point or settling point
0: Mm -hmm. I just found that because obviously I'm a coach myself that most ever, what my point was this week to them was that every single one of them is so different. And, you know, you know, as humans, it is actually crazy that I've not come across one person and I've worked with hundreds of females that not one of them's the same. Oh. So we, okay, we work with the same principles we head towards the same protocols as coaches, but they're all very different. So because of social media now, what they all tend to do is they all compare each other with it. you know, they they literally compare with the next 10 girls or she's doing this, she's doing that. And then they go off the rails with their own mind because, you know, they're not concentrating on them and that, yeah. And I think it's just the world of social media, unfortunately that, you know, that isn't great. Um, So my message was trying to get across to them, stop comparing yourself with 10 other bikini girls that are in a different situation, all had different preps, all prepped differently, you know, had different supplements, different nutrition, you know, it's, so that was just a message that I'm trying to, you know, portray. Would you agree with that, that, you know? Well,
2: <laughs> absolutely. And and the thing that it's, I, I feel like it's my social responsibility yeah. to harp on that message because I'm in this sort of unique position being the, you know, the old guy's been around for so long. I was around before the internet existed. I was around at the beginning of it. So I have perspective on something that someone who is 20 or 30 years younger than me can have perspective on because their social world is wrapped up. It's enveloped by that social media, which is not a random sampling of what you see out there.
3: Yeah. The, it, the it, very, it, yeah.
2: Some, yeah. Sometimes you'll have, you know, women who are kind of, open and honest and they'll kind of show, you know, okay, I went overboard here, you know, and that's so refreshing to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time you're seeing like the top, I don't, I don't know what it is. is. You'd be, It would be really interesting. Someone could probably compare this. I've got the study ideas running through my head now, but you can kind of compare what you actually see, what comes to the forefront. The algorithms show that the most extraordinary crazy physiques that are out there. Mm-hmm. You don't, the average one, unless you're continually clicking on and looking for those, the other is going to keep on showing what most people want to look at and what you tend to look at because you mm-hmm. you got to click on those things. And you have to think about there's a bell curve pretty much for everything we can study in among human beings. So let's say you're a woman who's set point or settling point. So there's a set point theory with body fat and settling point kind of takes into account um, everything that's involved with your sociology and your psychology, your environment, the things that would tend to to raise or lower your body fat, um, to some degree, just based on what you're exposed to. So, you know, those are going to be pretty close, but there's obviously some play there as far as what the environment, the person's in, what their fam, let's say they grew up, let's say an Italian family where they're eating baked ziti and like really high calorie meals, things like that all the time. That's going to have, that would probably shift their settling point for body fat a little bit higher because that's what they have to eat. That's just what they're used to eating. That's their comfort food, et cetera, et cetera. So one, one woman might just naturally be 25% body fat. If she didn't mm-hmm. train or anything, that's where she is. I mean, she mm-hmm. has to work her tail off literally to get down, to be in shape, to match, roughly speaking, another woman who just naturally settles at like 15. She's yeah. just naturally leaner. That's yeah. just how it is. And so you don't, and then of course there's drugs that shift things all over the place mm-hmm. too. And in the bikini world, the, the interesting thing there, I mean, the idea of the, ideally that the division was supposed to be so you complete complete compete completely natural yeah and there wouldn't have to be any and that you know that's maybe our topic for later well yeah Um, we've
0: got we've got we're going to speak about that which is going to be interesting
2: yeah so so that that plays a role too so you could have you could have a woman for instance who's i mean just take a you know hopefully this isn't a very common occurrence you could have a woman who's on like a full-blown top-level bodybuilders competitive stack And, and I've heard Victoria Felcar talk about women who she's interacted with who were like bikini competitors taking like, you know, guy level amounts of testosterone, things like that. Mm -hmm. You've got, you you've got a, then you've got absolutely no basis of comparison. So you don't have any idea where that person's genetics or what a drug regimen might be putting them. And so that's for them, like they could be eating like an asshole if they wanted to, and be much leaner than you. And you're doing everything like every meal is like an exercise Mm -hmm. in, you know, mindfulness to kind of pay attention. Okay, you know, I'm full, I'm eating slowly, I'm chewing my food, I'm making sure I'm drinking healthy amounts of water to fill my stomach, I'm doing all these things to kind of counter my desire to like, kind of just dig in with the food. And the other person looks better than me. It's like, Oh, yeah. And if you if you think that there's like any grounds of comparison there it's just it's just like it's it's like trying to you know race a bicycle against a lamborghini
3: yeah
2: you're outwitted in terms of driving force and everything else like there's just no comparison but it's so hard to do because they're on the same road with you Mm -hmm. um so aware being aware of that and i mean it's it sounds trite it's the meme but you know comparing yourself to yourself
0: yeah i think really where it's at Females are so renowned for comparing themselves that much. I get sent um, pictures, um, can I, can you make me look like that? Can you make me look like that? Mm. And it's normally the top athletes, you know, in the Olympia. And I'm of like, course. well, they really just haven't got a clue. Like, yeah. bless, bless them. But, you know, where do you want me to start? <laughs> like, uh, you know, to that level, to that extreme. And, you know, they're completely oblivious that they are stacked to the nines you know and they do not even know what a steroid is and Mm -hmm. you know and they're considering like i can look like this if i just go to the gym (laughs) yeah
2: right yeah it's and, and you know it's it's what the advertising does that the advertising you know it's you have you know top level pros on there and they supposedly it's like i the, the intimation, of course, is that they got this way because they, they, you know, took one serving of these essential amino acids a day, or they used this supplement or what have you. And it's, it's obviously not the case. And the ironic thing about this, um, the truly ironic thing about this, and, and this is, this is, a, this is, this is so true in men's bodybuilding, which is probably a, a mere pure example is that the best pros, not, this is not entirely true. There's some guys who have to like go for the gusto and and they have to throw everything in there to, to compete at that high level. But many, many of the best pros and the top level competitors just have extraordinary genetics mm. and they're the, using actually less than what you'll see at the, at the lower levels, like the state level bodybuilders. And I've, yeah. I've done, I don't know, I, I need to go and try to count them like four, like 40 or so shows, something like that. And a lot of state level shows and talk with lots, like spent the whole day talking to guys backstage, just lying around waiting. And you hear guys, you know, talk about these mega doses that they're using. And of course, clients that come to me, that sort of thing. And then I've, you know, worked with some pretty high level people and mm-hmm. no, like had some training partners and people that, that are much better bodybuilders than I could ever be. And they don't know anything really about gear. They're just really good. And like doing crazy things that wouldn't even have actually improved their physique. The doses are that small. They're just like, I got to use this. So. And I don't like injections, you know, so I'll just use the little somatic cannon. And it's like, and you're almost, you're like, you're that far from a pro card. Those sorts of stories abound. So the genetics really rules the roost. And genetics, there's an overlap between those genetics that make you a responder to exercise and training and have your body fat at a lower level and give you the, the skeletal structure, which is so important in bikini too. Yeah. You know, just the natural shape and your body fat distribution, just being naturally where it is. Yeah, I'll 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 tell you this. Like this, this is an example. Just um, at one end of the spectrum, there was a woman that I used to see, and I I don't remember her name. She used to do a lot of the shows back in Arizona, where I did multiple Mister Arizonas and various other the other shows that are there. And uh, she um, she was an older competitor. She'd been at it for a while. Her upper body was absolutely shredded, like wicked badass shredded (laughs) bodybuilder. And her lower body looked like it belonged to someone who spent the day sitting in front of the couch, eating Doritos. Wow. And and like she had like resistant cellulite there. I mean, the muscles were big. It's not, it's not that bad, but she had an inch of thickness of subcutaneous fat that you could see Like you'd have that. I mean, it was one of those things where maybe she eventually had it liposuctioned out. Right. But it was incredible to have that. So, you know, she suffered so to speak. yeah. She pushed to get that lean. You could kind of see, but her lower body just wouldn't go away. And I don't know, you know, there may have been some things she could have done otherwise, but that was, it was such an incredible disparity. That's just how her body fat was distributed. That's just the part yeah. she was dealt, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. it just comes back to, again, we are very individual and bodybuilding is very much, you know, like exploring you are your own your own project and you know when you start working with a new competitor and especially from a coach's point of view it's so important to obviously get to know that physique that person how they work and then Mm -hmm. that's when the results come in and you know i guess that that's what you're saying you know that everybody's so different we've got to learn from each prep
2: yes and you know as an aside too sometimes people will mention that um uh you know, the coach gave me a generic diet or gave me a generic mm-hmm. training protocol yeah. right off the bat. And that can be, that's just a probe, so to speak. That's a test. So it's like, okay, you told me this, you said you did well with this. You did well with this. You may have a client who just, that's why they're coming to you is they, they haven't really, they don't have the type of mind that pays attention to those details or they're not knowledgeable enough to know and recognize when something's working or not working. or Maybe they feel like nothing's worked. So you're just like, I don't know even know what to go with here. There's no obvious thing, a, a, a decent strategy. Some coaches use this, use this intentionally. that's, that's, those are the ones I'm talking about now. They give a generic training program, a generic plan, and mm-hmm. they try something just to see how you respond. And if you go, you know, from zero to 60 in three seconds with the generic plan, um, just because it's a plan, it's like, okay, this person's got some good genetics. And if you throw that, what normally would be for your average person, a diet, it's going to work based on everything, you know, and they gain two pounds and they're supposed to be losing. It's like, okay, so we're going to have to, we're going to have to really work around <laughs> here and figure our, figure our way in, um, into this situation. So, so don't like always be willing to ask questions. It's not a problem for mm-hmm. anyone watching now because they've got you, yeah. you, you're willing to answer. I'm sure you love to talk about this stuff. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, I know I care. do. I do at my, at my check ins. I like it when they ask because I yeah. have like a, a question What do you want to learn this week? You know, sometimes it just it can be blank. Others can ask, you know, it just depends on obviously what they're going through. But yeah, I always do like to. And also, it keeps me on my toes as a coach. So, you know, it keeps me right. constantly learning. If I don't know something, mm-hmm. I'll come to the likes of yourself <laughs> and then um, give you a nudge, and then, you know, we can get answers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah yeah or just look it up google yeah. google is your best friend yeah absolutely be careful with google though but it, it gets you it'll get you multiple different answers many times so <laughs> knowing who to trust i've got an article it's in my book it's a whole the last chapter of my book is is basically on how to be a critical thinker in bodybuilding yeah. Yeah. um and then i have an article on elite fts so people can go and read that covers a lot of that information too um yeah so that's super important yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Another question, then we're going to talk touch, we'll talk about PEDs at the end. um, But I think if we talk about nutrition timing, um, Mm. one that you love, (laughs) Um, I'm just literally desperate to know like the ins and outs about um, carbohydrate windows with training and how best to optimize your training through nutrition. Mm-hmm. so you know where would we start with that like you know take the floor and, and answer that question so
2: context is everything mm-hmm. in these in these situations so um the idea of people think of nutrient timing and, and first and foremost people think of using an intra workout you know that's just you know that's timing your um the food the energy provision the carbohydrates of course amino acids, to help with the recovery and the stresses you've just imposed from your workout, it gives you a window of opportunity to more rapidly replenish glycogen. So if you're in a carbohydrate restricted, cause you're in a calorie restricted place in your diet and yeah. you want to make sure you've got glycogen levels as full as possible, which is going to help with performance in the gym. So you're not bonking during your sets. Someone would know that if you ever have sets and this, this is an experience <laughs> that happens at the end. You've, if- <laughs> You, I just heard say, about this. you just
0: say bonking
2: bonking yeah oh yeah okay yes so the, the the bonking term comes from uh the endurance literature so probably some of your clients have been run marathons before mm-hmm. um found a lot of bodybuilders you know have been in, in endurance athletes triathletes are maybe the only athletes that are crazier than bodybuilders they're just they're an ultra endurance athletes so uh, there's a bonking phenomenon that happens really um It's really interesting. It happens relatively reliably where running a marathon at marathon running pace, lactate threshold pace for your average person, um, even if they've glycogen loaded as much as they can, super compensated, they'll end up somewhere around mile 20, 21, 22, like before the race, they'll run out of glycogen. So glycogen and carbohydrate is a fuel glycogen in particular, because it's readily available inside the muscle cell is a fuel that you can use at faster rates to allow you to move run or cycle. If you're doing an event that lasts roughly that long um, at higher outputs of energy. And when you run out of that, you're left with bloodborne glucose, which can supplant that to some degree. That's a whole body of literature too. It's very, very cool stuff. Um, And fats. So especially if you haven't taken any carbohydrate in during your, your marathon, so let's say maybe you're, you're, you've decided to cut the calories from your interworkout, workout, which I'm not big on. There's reasons we can go into that, um, that, that could, just a small amount of carbohydrate and actually protein too can be helpful. Mm. Just literally something that doesn't create a massive caloric input into your diet can be very helpful for performance. Um, right. and I'll explain that in a bit. So you get to this point where you, it's called a bonk and where it's literally, you're just all of a sudden you just can't run as fast or can't go as fast in the marathon. You can't run as fast. You're bonking, hit the wall, and bonk is the term that's used there. And yeah, you haven't heard that before. Okay, no, I'm gonna
0: basically it's another term, obviously, like you said for sex. So it's like literally having sex in the between gym (laughs) and your routine.
2: well, I, I don't know, no, not oh, bonk, like to bonk. No, it's not that. Like that could be a good thing. That's another reward. We can put that into the post yeah. post contest period is like, you know, if you're feeling it's like you need, your brain needs a little carrot, go have a bonk or somebody. Yeah, Just
0: just you there know? you go.
2: Yeah. Amazing. Okay. That's, that's, that's a British English versus American English. You could yeah. say I'm going to go bonk her or him, but uh, yeah. Bonk in this context means run out of glycogen and you, your performance just drops off. So if you're in the gym, yeah, I'm not saying that you should have illicit sex <laughs> while you're working out. Like, like, find a partner, do a set. Find a partner, do a set. We're not talking about that. Brilliant. Yeah. Yes. Not, that's not where we're going. <laughs> it's the situation where you've been low on carbohydrate, and you literally you you get into your set, and you're like, okay, this feels like a 12 rep set, and mm-hmm. you get to rep nine, and all of a sudden, just it won't budge. The like it's gone, and that's that. And my my best guess is that's a fuel supply issue, mm-hmm. and um, there's actually Greg half has done a number of studies showing that glycogen supplementation during resistance exercise can help with performance. And that's probably because the glucose coming in can help supplant, um, the rate of carbohydrate oxidation and, and anaerobic glycolysis in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can drive ATP at a faster rate and support higher performance. Um, during uh, when you diet it down, your glycogen levels are getting to that low bon- bonkable level where you may be bonking <laughs> Where nobody out wants to
0: bonk. Yeah, no.
2: <laughs> there you go. That's the problem. Nobody wants to bonk. So this is, this is you, we don't, you actually, the, the selling point would be how to bonk while you're deep in a diet, but we don't want you to bonk. So we're going to lose listeners here, I know, because I'm not, I'm not addressing the topic that's really the best selling one. But mm. So, um taking in some carbohydrate you can actually replenish glycogen in your workout during your rest intervals they see this with high intensity interval training for instance people are taking carbohydrate the glycogen will go down and then there'll be a minute rest and glycogen levels will climb back up and some of that's from the the lactate that's floating around some of it's from the glycogen so back on the topic Mm -hmm. um normally there's intra-workout there are studies and some of it's just cherry picking but there's studies that demonstrate That even when the total number of calories are the same over the course of a day, simply shifting them into an intra or a post-workout position during Mm -hmm. your day can elicit greater gains in muscle size, muscle hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. That's a function of probably the insulin being around, which is anti-catabolic and can be anabolic in the presence of amino acids. Insulin also drops down cortisol. There's a study, um, tarpenning was the first name. Those two are antagonistic, and cortisol is a long-acting steroid hormone. If you can prevent a higher elevation of cortisol, this is my guess as to how this is working mechanistically, you can avoid those long-acting catabolic effects of cortisol, which would be counter to building up more muscle tissue. So the individuals who had the greatest suppression of cortisol or the least increase in this particular study had the greatest elevate increase in muscle fiber size over like a 12 week training study. So that's, that's um, um there's a whole talk that I give on that one. I've given that a few times, given it for cherry. I've given it a bunch of times. It's, it's yeah. out there. I think you probably yeah. find it.
0: Yeah. I'm listening um, to one at the moment, actually, that you were on a podcast with as well. So I'm still in the middle of that one. That's quite okay. in, a really interesting podcast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting but, nutrition time and it's, it's hard isn't it to get right but what if you've got um a competition client that is like in the latter end of their prep so would you say saving the carbohydrates before you know the before they train after they train say for example as harsh as 50 grams of carbs all day how would you address that to optimize their training
2: So the things, the things I would, I would look at various things. So where I was kind of going in in some degree is nutrient timing is also things like protein pacing, like having your protein spread throughout the day. Mm -hmm. rcro has got some literature showing that's important for muscle size. Um, What you have in the last meal of the day can be really important. Carbs will help many people sleep. Yeah. And if you have your carbs early in the day and then you you, you know, you're getting two hours of sleep because you're starving all night long, yeah. whereas you can have a slightly larger meal before you go to bed with some carbohydrate in it and you can then sleep better and feel better. That may overall give you a better level of performance. You're less stressed. So there's less cortisol. You'll feel better. Here's just kind of something to look forward to. So you're, you're creating intentionally a dangling carrot you know, knowingly, um, yeah. you know, consciously creating a dangling carrot. So 50 grams of, of carbs a day, if that person, let's say um, feels really, they're going to be in ketosis more than likely most of the time. Um, if those 50 grams are coming from chance or are they got some veggies in there. So we, you know, they're going to be eating a good number of veggies and those sorts of things. But let's say they've got like, you know, 30 grams of a complex carbohydrate source. That's going to you know, elevate their blood sugar. It's going to taste good and be a nice sort of a food reward for a person who, um, feels great in ketosis and they like cruising through their, they can work, work out through those. And they, and they like, you know, having like a, a steak with some asparagus and a, a salad post-workout, then they wouldn't need those carbs. That's fine yeah. for them. Yeah, Some people might feel better. And this is, it's really interesting. Some people want if they have a little bit of carbs for their workout, their workouts are much, much, much better. Mm-hmm. Some people feel better in ketosis; they feel enormous, they feel great in ketosis. They can just kick ass the entire time. The energy levels are very high. Um, for those for those folks, like a ketone salt, a keto ester actually would be a good approach. And some people feel they note they notice probably a psychological effect, which leads to a true ergogenic effect by taking those. And so they might actually supplement with fats as opposed to um, using carbs around a workout yeah, because they don't need to be bumped out of ketosis, um, for their workout, but some people do. Yeah. So, um, and it depends on, um, of course their general food focus and inclination. So some people might be like, you know, I don't care if I don't have to eat any carbs the rest of my life, I want to win, you know? So (laughs) they'll put, they'll put it wherever would make the most physiological sense. In that case, an intra-workout seems to make make sense the most for me because this could be a situation where they could be bonking during the workout. <laughs> um, I got to come up with another word for that. Now I keep so I'm seeing that in my own head. Now it's like <laughs> get back in get back in the squat rack. Get, get, leave her alone.
0: You need to be over here. You're set. Oh, um, would be a crazy gym that provides yeah, both oh, bonking. I, I know. <laughs>
2: I know. I'm, I'm just imagining like they'd have like the, the silhouettes of, you know, the guys doing this and then they'd have another set of silhouettes for like the other, op- op- oh, op- the other activity. So that person might use a nutrient timing approach where they put carbs in there. Some people might like to eat, you know, if they're trying to maintain like the social, like say they train after work and they go home and, you know, they've got a wife and kids, they are the wife or they're the husband. And it's like, it's family time, you yeah. know, and we're going to cook potatoes. Like, well, daddy's going to have a sweet potato. You guys will get regular potatoes and mac and cheese, whatever. And So dad has a sweet potato and mm-hmm. that's, he has, you know, his carbs then in that post-workout meal. And, you know, it's not perfect nutrient timing, what have you, but it yeah. fits, it checks so many other boxes. It's absolutely worth it. It yeah. feels good. Uh, and to be able to know there was a guy, I'll never forget this. This was a long while ago is, you know, early, this is probably like 2004 Maybe something like that. And then there was a guy who ended up winning the show that I did. Well, I think it was the Mr. Arizona show and it looked great. Um, I think he, he could have gone on and, you know, done really well in a pro qualifier. And I remember um, uh, I, I actually run into him outside. He's just so stressed, man. He looked phenomenal, but his, he was just like, so and he was like smoking cigarettes <laughs> and he was talking to his buddies. Like, man, I normally don't smoke. I'm like, I'm just so stressed. And he's like, so what are you going to eat? And he's like, dude, I don't care what I eat after the show. I just can't wait to repair all the relationships that I probably destroyed because of this breath." Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's just sitting there regretting all these things, you wow. know, and all the people he may have totally, completely lost. And he was a really nice guy. I kind of was in contact with him for, you know, a decade after that. I'm not sure what he's up to now. But um, so keeping using the, if you, if carbs going back to this big picture mm-hmm. thing, if having a meal with the family, where you have the your more normal meals at dinner time because that's family time, helps preserve those things, which helps with the prep. Yeah, you know, you're dieting down, and you like every day when you come home post workout, you're there with your family, and you get to you know, um, you know, zoom airplane zoom the the, the potato into your kids' <laughs> mouth. You know, here you go, and, and Daddy's <laughs> gonna have some too. Mmm, feels so good. Like getting to do that and have a little bit of normalcy, so to speak, interjected into your life. That's just invaluable. And then you can maintain that. Yeah. And your kids don't have this. Kids are picking up on stuff. They're not naturally not not saying I'm just I don't have children. um, But, you know, I see this a lot kids are picking up on all sorts of things. You don't want your kids to have this this memory of, you know, daddy used to be an asshole but sometimes he was nice he really wasn't predictable and when he got really gaunt in the face you know it's just really always grouchy that sort of thing yeah um they remember that that's you're the like you know you're the main male figure in this case if it's a guy and they're gonna that's the pattern that they're gonna be used to seeing and you know if it's a woman maybe in relationships with men it's like that, that's quote unquote daddy issues, which is a whole other topic. So mm-hmm. there's so many important things you can do. And this is just like having carbs at the right time and keeping the family life as a, as a priority, if that's part of, of how your life has been engineered. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it kind of depends on the person absolutely entirely. Obviously, you know, that scenario with the, with the, with the man coming home from work might not play a role whatsoever for a woman who lives alone, has no children, Um, is highly driven but has horrible insomnia well you're going to have her have that bigger meal a comfort meal maybe or just because she knows that those carbohydrates help her sleep and the data suggests that in general that might be the right way for her
0: yeah so so interesting all of that all adds up and that's pretty much how i approach it the same as you and Mm. you know let's you know we've got to remember that bodybuilding is absolutely amazing it's part of our life but we've also got a life outside of it and you know it's okay being you know a competitive competitor, but yes. you, you rightly pointed out that family is important, and they go through the same prep as you do, mm-hmm. and and it, you're mm-hmm. right they they do witness you know what they what they see, and you know I've got two children I've just learned over time that you know I've, I, I, as I've done different preps that you know it's me who's doing this not to take it out on them and allow them to enjoy because I don't want them. The last thing I want them to do is, oh, mommy's on prep, you know, Right. them them, them famous words, mommy's on prep. And, you know, it's, we can't do this. We can't do that. It is difficult. Yeah. You know, difficult for, yeah. Partners, families. And, but we do it because we love bodybuilding. (laughs) We love competing.
2: (laughs) You know, it's, if you look, and this is just, this is the, I'm playing the devil's advocate. of things we're just that we agree upon. So I'm not arguing with you. I'm arguing against myself, so to speak. But if you look at, um, you know, in many, many cases, the, the historical figures who've done extraordinary things, they've been absolutely single-minded and very unbalanced in their approaches, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like literally, you know, you can read about um, I'm not going to name any, cause I don't, I'm not a historical expert read about like men, who were just horrible to their wives supposedly they were really bad husbands but they are you know highly regarded because of the inventions that they brought into modern society or the things that they wrote or what have you so that's we have that within us to be single-minded in pursuits I think it's their survival value probably I tend to be an armchair evolutionary biologist a little bit sometimes and think about like why would we why would we be so you know, single-minded in, in, in that way that, you know, we kind of like disregard our family or things that sort of would make sense. Mm-hmm. It's like there could be times when having that kind of an attribute to just go for it and put everything else to the side might be necessary when there's, yeah. you know, um, you know, giant climactic change, or, you know, there's a, a fire, you know, that burns down your village and you have to migrate to the next, you know, settlable place where there's water and food and what have you. So those things can come out in some of us. And if you're aware of it and you're, I think the main thing is to be conscious of the decision that you're making Mm -hmm. in foregoing um, certain aspects of your life. If you're going to do that, you know, you might, a lot of people, a smart way to do this for someone who's really, really um, genetically gifted and thinks and really loves bodybuilding all the pieces are there, but it's to say, you know what, I'm gonna give myself five years. You know, I'm 21. I'm gonna give myself five years until I'm 26. I've heard this many times. I think it's a brilliant way to do it, and see where I get. You know, do I? Can I get the sponsorships? Can I get the places? Can I become a pro? Yeah. Can I do these things? And um, and that along the way, they'll know what sacrifice, what they're what they're you know not able to do, what things are not doing. Yeah. And once you get there, this is all like goals are are so important in sort of knowing um, the parameters of what you're looking for. I have people come to me, had a rash of them lately. Maybe this is why it's coming to my head. Had many people come to me who wanted to do a consultation. And I, first thing I do is like, tell me what your goals are. Let's make these, I want to like be measurable, concrete, um, and something that has a given timeframe. So, you know, I want to be, um, you know, I want to be a social media hero. Like, okay, like that's fine. You know, social superstar or whatever, so what does that mean to you? Is that 10,000 followers? Is that a hundred thousand followers? And when do you want to have that happen mm-hmm. or, or is it just? And this is the thing we need to know is that, do you just want to have, you just want to experience what it feel like to be whatever that means to you. You just, do you just want to manipulate your brain chemicals so that you feel better about yourself and you're mm-hmm. thinking that that what will do it for you. Um, so that's something to consider amongst all of this is like, do I think that if I win the miss, whatever bikini competition, that it's going to make my life, you know, better in a way that it is not now. Is that what's really behind some of this? Is there some self-esteem that I'm trying to accumulate? Um, and this is where I'll talk about the hedonic treadmill because it comes into play. Um, huh. So this is an, <laughs> this is an idea of um, uh, that we sort of are, are, our Mo- emotions and our um, level of happiness in life is is sort of pans out being as if we're running on a treadmill. We're actually running along and we're speeding up and slowing down depending on what life throws at us, but we're actually not getting anywhere in terms of moving forward or moving back in terms of our happiness. We tend to sort of settle in the same place, just like running in spot running in place on a treadmill. And you see this, for instance, with people who win the lottery and you think, okay, I won the lottery. I don't have to work. I permanently retired. Everything's good to go. A lot of people, those, they just throw all that money away. Mm -hmm. You know, they go bonkers, but their level of happiness will come back down to where it once was beforehand. They'll have a burst of happiness and joy, and then it comes back down. And I saw this very frequently, um, or I saw this at least, you know, many cases when I was doing some of my postdoctoral research with people with spinal cord injury. And I saw people who literally went through just devastating life circumstances. There was a young kid who had a spinal cord injury while he was wrestling. And when he was in the hospital, his house burned down. So he became paralyzed and homeless in a matter of, you know, six hours, Wow! He's you know, young, he's a high level wrestler, everything's kind of going for him. And all of a sudden, he's got nothing. There was a woman who was in a wheelchair. Um, She got in a wreck taking a family trip for a vacation, I think. And her husband and both of her children were killed and she was left paralyzed. She was the only survivor. She Mm. was the most positive, upbeat person. I wasn't faking it. Like she was just, that's just how she operated. And it was a gift to be wired in that way. I think Mm -hmm. she also had something she had to overcome But her treadmill brought her back up to her level of positivity. And this is not you can't become more positive and gain wisdom and that sort of thing over the course of a lifetime. But um, just being aware that there's that phenomenon that if you're thinking that one life achievement per se, this does happen for some people, very rare ones. Those are the ones we know about. They're the champions who became known as champions and it probably carries them through. But there's a lot of people who've won all sorts of things and had all sorts of accomplishments and sometimes it's even sad, you know, we'll say, you know, here's my picture from 12 years ago. This is what I look like. And it's like, like, okay, you know, but how do you do really, how do you feel now? You know? So who are you becoming along the way? So having those things kind of in place, I think, um, in your mind to know that, you know, I've got family life, I've got the, my priority straight and like this winning this show is so it could be like you're driven like, you know, Isaac Newton or Einstein or, um, you know, name some inventor or some scientist who just was just crazy as a lark, you know, a beautiful mind type of situation. And they uh, accomplished incredible things, but there is a certain price that's paid for that, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. And is that chalice, that golden fleece at the end of your journey, the bodybuilding, the prize, the trophy, whatever it might be. Or just knowing that you're, you know, miss, like name the county, you know, in in somewhere in Great Britain. Um, Is is that going to be, you know, for you, something that's going to move you up in terms of life, happiness and status? It may very well be for some people who do tremendous Mm. transformations. It may be the step that literally changes your life. And that's just awesome. Mm. But you just have to, you know, be aware of what it is that you're seeking. Um, And I'll toss one more idea into this little rant Mm. Um, and I've mentioned this one a lot, but it's valuable and it plays in, in a way that i never really connected it before. When I was at Georgia doing my PhD, there was a guy there, Rod Dishman, who was the foremost expert for decades in exercise adherence. I've mentioned him many times. You may have heard me. Yeah. And, um, he, uh, I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn all the tricks to try to get people to exercise, just like hypnotize them into loving exercise and they will do it forever. And, um, you know, when it comes down to it, there's research suggesting various ways, you know, social support and reward systems and things like that, that will get people to exercise. But his basic conclusion, and this is why I sort of left that area of research, is that we're we're creatures of immediate gratification. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for like kind of what feels good in the moment. And we can delay that gratification. And if you're looking for like a delayed gratification type of response where the longer and the harder you diet. Yeah. And, and I've done this. Like this is speaking from from experience, like decades of doing this, literally. And I think if harder I go, the more, the more it hurts, the more I give in, the more I suffer, quote unquote, the better the reward's gonna be, the greater the highs would be. The, uh, the deeper the lows, the greater the high. Ooh, that's, that's a, that's a tough one to play that game. Those <laughs> highs go away really fast. The anticipation is where you get the reward centers activated and the immediate gratification is gone. You know, um, when, you know, the next, the next, like, especially two weeks later, if you do a post-contest binge and you look like you didn't diet and it's like, so, Hey, where you been? I haven't seen you for three or four months so like, Oh, I was dieting. I won the, you know, miss Manchester or whatever. It's like, Oh, you did. <laughs> you look. You you look like you got stung by a wasp and had an anaphylactic reaction. I don't. Okay. How'd that go? How'd that work out for you? So that's important to have. And I don't know how many people that uh, directly applies to, but it's Mm -hmm. an important message, even if it helps one.
0: one Yeah, definitely. Well, it is funny that you mentioned about Miss and because I did start my career um, in the pageantry. So I actually was Miss Great Britain. Oh, and I was Miss England, too. Oh, this is awesome. Oh, good. I can't wait to hear what you this think. This is yeah. amazing. So I actually did represent our country in the Miss World um, competition when I was 19. So yeah. it's funny you say that. So I came off the Miss World stage and it was a bit of an anti-climax because I know I was only a baby. I was only 19, but I just competed in the best show ever, you know, the, the highest, the highest you can go um as Miss England and Miss Great Britain I'm actually the only queen to have ever won both titles so it's quite a big thing you say that it's so funny I actually thought you knew (laughs) no I didn't no
2: yeah I didn't
0: I hope I wasn't sticking my my foot in my mouth yeah it's so funny so you know when you do achieve something so massive as that and then you you know you come off a Miss World stage you I expected, you know, this to happen, this, my life was made, my career was made, but actually it was, no, you've competed. And then, you know, and then I carried my career on as like into fitness and health. And so I'm now talking about, it it was 20 years ago. So we, so 20 years ago, you know, I I was on that stage and now I'm a competitor in bikini. and, and, yeah, no, I've still got the titles. I've still got my sashes. I've still got my crowns. But, right. you know, that that's it. We've achieved it. And I'm showing my kids the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> look what I look like 12, uh, 10 years, 20 years ago. Um, but, yeah, you know, and now I'm chasing a title which I can't grab. Like, in the bodybuilding uh-huh. industry, I'm still chasing to be a champion. Um, mm-hmm. But it's funny you say that. Like, I think when I do become a champion because I will. So when I do become that champion, like I think I'll just grab, grab the trophy and go, thanks. I've been, I've been climbing for this for like four or five years (laughs) and, and then, and then what, you know? So it is, you have got to have that goal. And if you don't have that goal, then how can you steer your ship? You know? And I think it's important to, you know, set them, life experiences as well with the goals and you know where to go
2: yeah you have a oh i want it now i want to turn the top turn the tables here and start interviewing you um because go for it but, but, that, but that is like you are an exception where you reach the absolute pinnacle and that mm-hmm. that has redeeming redeeming value i mean that because you mm-hmm. can and it's it's I mean it's nice i don't um i it's funny i i gave away about half the trophies that i have um uh just because I was told they were going to go someplace where kids could use them, like just for like trophies that they would have, you know, for like at the YMCA and that sort of thing. (laughs) But um, I kept, I was hoping that someday I would have someone to kind of show that stuff to, you know, but so far it hasn't happened. Um, But you can do that. But so many people will strive and strive and strive, not knowing that. And and, and especially in a beauty pageant, Mm -hmm. you're a beautiful woman. If you weren't, you wouldn't have won those things. That's just all there is. And it wasn't like you, I mean, knows we can think of this in a spiritual way but you were born with certain gifts that allowed you to get there just that's mm-hmm. how it is and that's not going to be the case for many of the competitors so imagine if um you know they forwent all these things and didn't went didn't win which is most most people like that's yeah. the majority yeah. among the thousands of people who were vying for the two titles that you won mm-hmm. um you know you're the only one who, who's got two you're the only one ever to have done that
0: Mm, I know Um, it is really cool but yeah it was such a shock when I went into the bodybuilding industry because I was so used to winning (laughs) and at the top level (laughs) and when I didn't get a first call out (laughs) I was like yeah this is it's not beauty it's actually yeah it gives me a different view and a different like a different feel in bodybuilding because everything that I do in the bodybuilding industry is because I've got to work for it. So it wasn't because I was gifted, you know, I was used to hearing my name all the time. Like I won quite a few regions before I won the two main titles. Sure. So, Everything probably. Yeah. I was like hearing my name all the time and okay. now I'll just go out and get the crown and then I'll go back. And, you know, I didn't have to eat what you've just said, you know, there was none of that. I didn't have a clue. I mean, right. we were at, um, Miss World when we were away at the Maldives and mm-hmm. we were eating egg and chips and you know we were all scrabbling for who can who can have a portion of chips because that was you know or we, do you call it potatoes you know or yeah, fries beto- yeah, yeah um, fries and you know they were trying to like feed us veg and s- stuff and I was 19 I didn't want that you know right. I was stick thin or, you know d- it was just a completely different. I just went out, got myself done up, makeup, hair, and out I went. It was nothing like now, obviously, as a bodybuilder, you know, when I first competed like 2019 back on the stage, but in the bodybuilding industry, like it was, I thought it was a beauty pageant. And mm-hmm. it really wasn't, you know, I wasn't yeah. getting judged on my beauty. And and that was that for me though, that made me step up and go actually I need to get in the gym I need to be a bodybuilder act like one
2: and Mm -hmm. you know
0: and start training my body to to be judged for that for that rather than being judged on beauty
2: and the intrinsic value and the and what you will have from having whatever it is that you end up achieving however far you go Mm -hmm. I'm guessing will be it will be categorically different. I can't say that you'll weigh mm-hmm. it more or less. You know, that's how you can't really quantify that necessarily, but it's going to be important to you. And I imagine a different way Yeah, because it you're is. older, you're mature, the effort, everything. And that's, that's why I'm big on people coaching themselves and, and being their own coaches as they go through, because what you achieve on your own, the more it can be attributed to what you've done and what you've learned, and what you're left with. Mm-hmm. So if you think about, just real simple. This is my, this is my huge soapbox that I won't I won't get onto unless you want to. <laughs> is that if you went through and you had to do all figure out all the things on your own as opposed to having a coach making all the decisions for you, that's a categorically different process. Plus, at the end, in doing that, you've learned all those things that you've learned as opposed to not paying attention, sort of being the mindless robot or a soldier. or some like, I'll be your soldier. I have people sometimes come to me. It's like, hey, you know, I love your stuff and I'm guessing that they don't listen as much as maybe I thought they had, because I'll do whatever you say. You're brilliant. I'll do whatever you say. And, um, uh, just tell me what to do and I'll be your soldier. And I'm like, okay, you missed my whole main message. (laughs) I don't want, I don't want soldiers. I want people that I can help learn, help teach how to be better learners. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what you, you've got literally, you're right. It's, it's not a beauty competition. There's obviously that's a part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, sometimes politics, depending on where you will get involved and, you know, beauty plays a role and there's, we are subjective humans, you know, um, it's hard to, hard to tease that apart, yeah. um, entirely, but you've got a categorically different competition, mm-hmm. um, that the average person in the street wouldn't have any idea about. Yeah. It, it's funny too, like, cause <laughs> you've got to, so this is so unique. I'm thinking through this now. No, I didn't know these things about you at all. So I, <laughs> I didn't do my due diligence, but, um, you might like have a conversation with somebody, if ever would, would come up, he's like, did you ever win any titles? And it's like, yeah, I was, you know, I was Miss Great Britain and yeah. And, and, and then I won like, and then you named some like smaller regional show that you won in bikini. And those were your two pinnacles. They'd be like, oh, okay. So you were like Miss Universe. And then, you know, Miss Podunk. It's like, they think <laughs> it's like, you, what happened to you? It's like, you really went down the tubes there late in life, didn't you? You can't win anything. But for you, it may be, it would be completely the opposite in terms of like how you value those two experiences and those two Mm -hmm. achievements, Mm -hmm. even though the level, and there's some truth there. This will come back to, to bring this back to the listeners. There's some, there's some parallel there in that. And I, and I say this, I think in my book, and I've written about it many times too, is that the level of effort and learning and value that may go into just placing in the top five you know, first call out experience
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, for someone who really was middle of the road genetics wise, or, or even further to the wrong sort of run end of the spectrum, could be worlds ahead of someone who just, you know, every time they go on stage, they're winning, and they're yeah. not doing much, and they don't know much, and they just don't value those things. Mm-hmm. And if you start comparing yourself, um, here's another kind of analogy, it's, it's like, it's like, you don't see it this way, but the value of what you're getting and learning for yourself and doing, making the most of whatever your potential may be, which is somewhat of an unknown thing. Um, and trying to compare that with someone else for whom it comes really, really easy. is kind of like saying, um, you know, that, like that person's eating, you know, some, a piece of piece of bark with some artificial sweetener on it, it looks delicious compared to my, you know, five story cheesecake. <laughs> and it's like, um, it's like no it's not because because that bar like yeah, but yours is so much better there's and you just don't know this they mm. won but they but it doesn't mean anything to them
3: really mm.
2: necessarily so what they've gotten from it is transient perhaps and it's you know somewhat meaningless for them depending on the person um some people this is not to say that all you know genetically gifted people just take their gifts you know for granted not at all some yeah. of them are highly aware of this but it's a different experience, so but I think the the bottom the bottom line is that, and this is how I've sort of always viewed it: is me not having um, incredible bodybuilding genetics was an is an absolute gift, mm-hmm. because, and this is the thing: I have a whole talk that I give that it's entitled "Why You Don't Look Like a Pro," <laughs> and, and the bottom line: it's talking about genetic biological individuality, and the bottom line is that. The more difficult the process, the more potential reward you can harness from mm-hmm. hoeing that hard road. Yeah. And that's that's been a great thing for me because it's forced me to learn. If you're someone who everything you do works, mm-hmm. it's like you don't get to figure out which variables could or, or would be more important because it doesn't matter what you do. Every just go in there and you eat normally and like right. You just do the is it a matter of have vegetables or chips. No, I'll just eat whatever I want because I'm going to win no matter what. Yeah, absolutely and, love you know,
0: that.
2: Yeah. Y- yeah. Yeah. So, so two, it's like
0: when you lose, my coach once said to me, uh, obviously, I was very disappointed that I got second. And he said to me, Michelle, it's what we do now. That's the most important bit. People love watching you lose in a nice possible way because you learn more when, you, when you've lost a few times.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know things happen for a reason don't
2: they you know you just remind me of something um so i was this is so funny when i think of it this way so when i was in high school um i was i swam on the mm-hmm. swim team and i played football too and i was actually captain of both teams and we never won a, a swimming competition we never we lost them all we placed dead last in every meet my football team, like except for the year when I was a junior and I got injured and, and couldn't play. We had a good team that year. We lost aside from two games, I played one game and then the other one I got injured in, we lost every single game. We were zero and nine, my senior year, we always lost pretty much a complete loser. <laughs> so to speak in both of those things. Mm-hmm. um I was I was the king of the losers I was the captain of the losing squads but um I remember I'll never forget this I remember like this for, for whatever reason like the more I got knocked down the more I wanted to come back up against it and I remember the mm-hmm. like the very last I was the defensive captain so I like was calling the defensive formations and gathering one together and um it was like we were down like you know we hadn't scored a touchdown they're threatening to score again on us. It was there up by 30, 35 to nothing, something <laughs> crazy like that. And everyone, everyone's like, okay, we got, you know, it's less than two minutes. There's like two or three plays left. It doesn't matter if they score or whatever. And the guys were kind of like down. And I remember like going around and looking them each in the eye and slapping on the helmet. It's like, you never give up. You never give up. You never give up. Yeah. I didn't realize at the time, like I was going bonkers. I was like, I played so hard. I played harder than ever. And it was a formative experience for me.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
2: like bring. I'm getting chills, you know, thinking yeah. about it um, because it made me, it made me real. And I was, and I excelled at other things too. So I, you know, I, it wasn't like, you know, I was like losing and everything I got, you know, I had my gifts and I was, and I did well in other things, but that loss experience mm-hmm. was an opportunity to make myself so much better and to realize that, you know, that's life's not about just winning and triumphing over others. It's about what you do after those loses, after those losses. So you come yeah. back from that.
0: Yeah, I totally so, agree. I feel that losing's been a gift for me because it's allowed me to find bodybuilding. So yeah. if I would if 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 my career in bodybuilding would have happened like it did in, in the beauty world, I probably would have got my got my trophy and my certificate and ran. And yeah, yeah. okay, and took it for granted. Whereas I've hung around in the bodybuilding industry because. I'm absolutely determined that I will become a champion one day. And, you know, the years are ticking. (laughs) Right. I've got to do it for me and I've got to do it for my boys as well, because, of course, they've supported me from day one. You know, they, Mm -hmm. they shout and scream at me at shows and stuff. So they are my drive to carry on, you know, getting that title. But when I win the title... I've also won, you know, a great career in the industry. I'll be, you know, already well-respected. I'm, I say this now and I'm probably, I'm starting to actually believe this, but I think I'm a better coach than I am a better athlete.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I'm okay okay with that. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And that would not have been the case at Mm. all. You know, if, Mm -hmm. if you had, if you just climbed right to the top.
0: Yeah. Exactly. You wouldn't have had those
2: opportunities to learn. You wouldn't be able to empathize with most of whom you're working with.
0: Yeah. I would have just took yeah. the trophy and ran and not learned, you know, about the industry. I might, might not be this geek I am today because yeah. <laughs> right just through my experiences, you know, I can coach and, and do it well. So I, yeah. I can only thank, you know, becoming a loser. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: thank, so funny. thank you losers. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like the old Chinese, you know, fortune cookie. Confucius say, fall down seven times, stand up eight. You know?
0: Yeah. Right. But Let's talk about the can of worms of pets.
2: Oh, yes. For Let's that. do it.
0: So um, it. I've got a couple of things here talking about. Um, so it's, it's such a can of worms, isn't it?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Where do we start with it? So I a
2: think, little one first, a little grub maybe before we go into the big worm.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of women just do not know so basically a female competitor coming into the industry the minute you mention the word steroids they go oh my god I'm not I'm not doing that I'm not not taking drugs I'm not doing this I'm not doing that so I think just educating where would they start say you know I work with the, I work with assisted and unassisted athletes so you know, and I don't know everything about drugs. I'll ask if I need to. You know, I ask above, You know, and we talk. We talk it through. They do it professionally. They book consultations with people who know what they're doing, and you know, it's done professionally. Um, so it's there's just a lot of stuff out there. You know, and there's there's the Psalms, is it? S S A R M S. Um, I want to touch on that. I think because where would you take a, a competitor who doesn't even go is, is not assisted. How do you transition them to being assisted? Where, where would you start with that?
2: With education, mm-hmm. just just as you you know already already pretty much said. Um, so the thing that and I don't know if you had a chance, people could probably find the interview I did with Ken Kanakin. Um, right it just ha- happened. We spent about an hour covering all this. I think and most of it went in this direction.
0: I need this. I need the description for that.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah. I can find it, on it here. for
0: you. Yeah. that'd
2: yeah. be awesome. Um, yeah. I was in this a society of weight injury specialists at Swiss. He did an online symposium this year. Couldn't do it last year because of the pandemic. And this year he just did it online. And he had a uh, question he was planning on asking me that we didn't cover at all. I don't think because we started talking, introducing things and and I was involved in, I guess it was a 2018. He had a panel on PEDs up there. Mm-hmm. That was phenomenal. Right. Um, and that one you can find too, I think, online. And so we got onto that topic. So I go through a lot of this information there, maybe in more detail than we'll get into. Mm-hmm. The first thing that I, I sort of point out that, that I don't know that is often, um, it helps give you see the forest from the trees, so to speak, before you get into the details like, well, should I use Anivar or Winstrol, mm-hmm. or, you know, can I use too, or... I was, what about testosterone? Is that a no-no? Is that the, the and an androgen, the, a male, an adult male produces about seven to 10 milligrams of testosterone a day, something like that. So, you know, if, like a strict formal hormone replacement therapy or testosterone replacement therapy for a male would be about a hundred milligrams of like a testosterone enanthate, which given you like 70 milligrams mm-hmm. of testosterone a week. So that's nothing like 10 a day. So if you compare that, for instance, with a female who's decided they're going to start with five and then go to ten milligrams of Anavar a day, it's they're they're different. Mm-hmm. Um, but an- Anavar is actually a um, a five alpha reduced androgen. Um, typically has less androgenic effects, but not always. It varies somewhat, to be honest. Um, they're taking in the same amount of testosterone that your average male would produce. So there's a spike in androgens that happens at puberty. And if you look anthropometrically at men and women and even girls and boys in this case before puberty and look at their exercise performance, for instance, like pull-ups is the the obvious one. So you look at like the average number of pull-ups at like a seven and eight, nine, a 10-year-old can produce can do and it's like zero or one like less than one and then puberty hits and then the number climbs you know to like seven ten or something like that for males when they have the development of more muscle mass and the secondary sexual characteristics muscle mass being one of those come into play distribution of muscle mass to women men tend to have more muscle mass distributed in the upper body versus the lower women the other way around and the total amount of course is, is varies Women stay like around one or two, like you don't get very many. Um, there's an anabolic effect of estrogen, but men, it changes. So you get a big spike there, but the average male is running around producing, maybe if he's not supplementing seven to 10 milligrams of androgen testosterone per day. If you're a woman who's using Anivar, mm-hmm. um of 10 milligrams, which be considered a pretty light cycle and maybe an average one for a bikini competitor, that's just as much androgen as a male would have. It's a little bit less than what happens in that spike, but that spike brings about in a year or two puberty and the development of those secondary sexual characteristics.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: you kind of think back over time. It's like, well, so let's say if you're a competing, a bikini competitor and you spend and you can see this, like if you really, if you want to really want an eye opener, you can go and look at early pictures of, of some women. Someone would do a pre and post and just look at the facial features for instance, and things that change either on a year-by-year basis or over the course of, let's say a woman competes for 10 years, pretty mm-hmm. long career. And half of that time is spent on. So she's got five years at an average of, let's say, 10 milligrams of anovar. Yeah. So that's, that's not the same elevation as you might get during puberty, but compare that with two years at two or three times that amount of androgen. That's basically enough androgen over time, kind of like the long term area under the curve that's accumulated during that 10 year career to produce the secondary sexual characters in a very rough and I'm not saying that that's a a way to do, um, you know, hormonally support a sex change operation anything like that. They would do that differently. But that is the type of thing that's that's in the ballpark of what is going on that differentiates at puberty, a boy from a girl to become a man or a woman. So it just kind of happens. Okay. Like we're, that's, that's pretty big stuff. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big boy yeah. way of viewing things, you know, no pun intended. So, um, so when it comes back then to more to kind of directly answer your question, SARMs, they've never, there isn't really a, a, a selective antigen receptor modulator. So um, if you look at people have heard about SERM selection, selective estrogen receptor modulators, Nobodex, Clomiphene, Teremiphene, or Loxifene, those sorts of things. Those are drugs that for the most part were used, at least initially in treating like breast cancer that will selectively bind the two different estrogen receptor isoforms, alpha and beta. Um, And that was, those were, those were chosen and and developed to try to treat breast cancer and and target a breast cancer tumor, let's say that has a higher expression of an epithelope of an estrogen receptor beta isoform. So those all have differential bindings. Those are CIRMs. Mm-hmm. And people just know those as anti-estrogens, a little different than aromatase okay. inhibitors. The counterpart to that are selective antigen receptor modulators. They're not targeting different antigen receptors as in two distinct isoforms. Um, there are actually antigen receptors on the cell wall. And then there are the classical ones that, that act in a genomic fashion. They're long acting. Those are the ones that are typically pointed to in terms of bringing about the sex, secondary sexual characteristics, male versus female. Um, those were developed with the idea that we want, to, we want to replace and only have the anabolic versus the androgenic effects mm-hmm. of androgens. So for, for instance, like individuals who, um, who may have been burn victims or any type of wasting Um, condition, cachexia, cancer, so people wasting from cancer treatment, you want to preserve the muscle mass they have osteoporosis, even things of that nature. Without those androgenic actions, the androgenic actions, are the things that could be troublesome, if someone has a proclivity for prostate disease, for instance, or hair loss, or acne, kind of the the negative, the side effects that typically come aside from the, the wanted effect of muscle mass. So SARMs have been developed. And there's some that are, that are androgen or that are, that are steroidal in nature. So literally they're basically, they call them a SARM, but they're, it's an anabolic steroid. It's a steroid molecule that's designed to have anabolic effects. So really there's kind of a gray zone mm. to say like, this is a, a, this is a SARM, but it's not yeah. an anabolic steroid. It's like, well, that's a steroid. Cholesterol is yeah. a steroid cortisol is a steroid, vitamin D is a steroid, progesterone is a steroid, those are all steroid molecules. So you can have, you can have SARMs that are actually steroids. Um, and this differentiates from pro-hormones, which are non-biologically active, but their metabolites become. And they haven't quite figured out entirely how to separate the androgenic from the anabolic actions. So those androgenic ones are the things that a woman would not want unless she's intentionally wanting to bring about anergenic um mm. characteristics in herself the anergenic actions also tend to be the ones that increase aggression um you know change your, your personality changing so to speak and uh if you heard that my, my dog's just trying to find they're, they're like oh daddy you're moaning you're groaning on again
0: oh, all this stuff. your dog <laughs> must be so smart listening to you all the time
2: oh <laughs> yeah they speak german now too they um they're brilliant yeah they've learned a lot over the years <laughs> um
0: a, a dog would be be able to prep me <laughs> for a show zuki.
2: yeah you could just have to look into her eyes learn how to read her mind because blitzies on the floor here
0: hey just stay in on the dog subject you have a dog called zuki don't you zuki,
2: zuki. yeah zuki. you have a Zu- you have oh, zuki i
0: have a zuki yeah
2: a zuki yeah i've that's zuki That first one that's that's zuki
0: mm, hello a
2: yeah. little nutkin so
0: gorgeous
2: yeah she is so
0: I'm not bringing my Zuki in because she will just go crazy, climb yeah. in the room and disturb me so much. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Distracting. I'll get her at the end. Yeah. I'll okay. show you.
2: Okay, good. I want to see her. <laughs> um, so so SARMs, the idea would be that they would eliminate that antigenic action, which is exactly what a woman who doesn't want any of those mm-hmm. actions to have would want to use. So Osterene, LGD, there's a bunch of those that are out there now that, that are available. And I'm not sure how the, the, um, uh, the, chemical mar- the chemical market in the U.S. is kind of dried up, I think. It used to be you could get research chemicals really easily. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I'm not seeing many of those advertised so much anymore, but that would be a place where people would buy those in the U.S., yeah. not for personal use, for lab use, that sort of thing. But ideally that's exactly what a woman would want. And um, here's, here's the bottom line. Here's the interesting thing. So actually interesting enough, the antigen receptor, the classical antigen receptor, its gene is carried on the X chromosome. So men are are male genetically because they have an XY. An XX would give you a a female. Um, The X Chromosome is where that antigen receptor is. It's coming from a male's mom. Right. So mom, like, is the so it's interesting you think about like um like uh um Labrata and Oliva, Sergio mm-hmm. Jr. And yeah, they they got their antigen receptor from their mom,
0: cool. not
2: from their dads who are the bodybuilding <laughs> champion So so that's just one piece of the puzzle. That's an interesting thing to think about. It's like, you know, it's not all. It's not all the antigen receptor. There's other things that go into becoming a bodybuilding champion. And Mm -hmm. those guys both train their ass off and they dot every I and cross the T's. So that antigen receptor can be highly variable in terms of its binding affinity for just a, a basic antigen like testosterone. This is why, for instance, you see differential rates of prostate cancer across demographic groups. This is why you'll see some guys in part grow really, really well. From gear and others don't there's some other genetic factors that are there too like the enzyme that cleaves the uh esterified fatty acid like on a testosterone enanthate and the same thing holds of course for women so it's not like men have a different antigen receptor than women because it's on the x chromosome so you know this so they're subject to the same variability um, in response to different antigens depending on what they might try to take so this holds with how variable you'll see some women do. Some will blow up like crazy. Mm-hmm. Some have horrible anergenic effects. Some have, you know, they'll hair growth being one of those, The like first cycle, they start to get hair growth on their face. Like, oh gosh. And they were small amounts. Others, nothing. Voice changes being another side mm-hmm. effect. The um, the cartilage here, the Adam's apple is Adam. It's not E's apple. It's Adam's apple, because you see this <laughs> larger in males, that is a, a secondary sexual characteristic. Well, all this cartilage here, including that around the voice box is antigen sensitive. So, and cartilage sort of kind of grows and it doesn't, you know, go back to where it once was many cases. So a woman who has a, a voice change and keeps on is likely to have that, you know, for life. Some women can kind of come back off the antigens and the cartilage changes will, will go back the other way. So all these sorts of things are going to happen in variable amounts. And if you're giving like a if someone's a coach, let's say, or someone's just decided to go on a cookie cutter type of mm. um, doping protocol of gear PED protocol, um, you don't know what you're gonna you're gonna respond to in what way exactly. There are certain clear cases like. You know, the higher the dose, the more likely to have the androgenic effects as a woman. Yeah, Testosterone is going to be a good one, you know, for producing androgenic effects, um, as opposed to something that um, doesn't um, undergo 5-alpha reduction, which typically means that it becomes more androgenic, but that's not always the case. So, for instance, nandrolone, deca, or nandrolone, mm-hmm. which could be as a, 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 actually as deca or another esterified compound is more androgenic than, than five alpha five or, um, than DHT dihydrotestosterone. Um, but it gets quickly reduced into dihydronandrolone, which is less androgenic than even testosterone is. But the levels of that five alpha reductase enzyme are going to be something that determines how long that nandrolone hangs around before it's five alpha reduced. Mm-hmm. So if someone, for instance, they wouldn't necessarily know this. A woman, it's possible, um, probably could dig in the literature and find this. It just occurred to me now. So a woman could just not have um, five alpha reductase activity. could be very, very low or be like literally have have a defective gene for producing that enzyme. And that wouldn't necessarily manifest in any way they'd necessarily know. There would be something, I'm sure, but in terms of testosterone being converted into dihydrotestosterone, it's not going to be a big, as big a thing for a, a woman, because that's important for the anergenic effects that go, that happen with puberty and make a male, a male in terms of those characteristics, mm-hmm. woman wouldn't notice that. So she says, I'll go with nandrolone. It's not very androgenic. nandrolone itself is its <laughs> metabolite is the one that, that is doing the action. Well, they don't have the enzyme to convert to the metabolite. Right. So they go with, you know, a 50 milligram nandrolone injection that's like putting in 100 milligrams of not just testosterone but DHT in terms of the energetic action that could be a worst that could be a one way trip to permanent secondary sexual changes of the male right. kind so you don't know so mm-hmm. you, there's literally you're like you know i don't know what the temperature of that pool is you don't dive in yeah yeah you just put your toe in there and say okay that's a little hot that's a little not and that's why it makes sense. If someone decides they want to do that and they've got the context and all these bits mm-hmm. and pieces, this information is not like, it's not to show, like, look how much Scott knows about, you know, mm-hmm. um, pharmacology or what have you. It's to, it's to make people realize that there's a m- multiple number of yeah. unknown potential mechanisms that could be involved with how someone, um, yeah. the pharmacodynamics, yeah. how the, what the drug does to the body as well as the pharmacokinetics with the body's doing to the drug. So starting off with something like a SARM, which, you know, Osterine has been given to women in studies, mm-hmm. osteoporosis sort of thing. And there are some will get, some will get some side effects, others not. Um, that's a place to go. If someone could get that, I don't even know if those are legal there or not because no, they're not no. prescription. Yeah. 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 So you could use Anavar or Winstrol or what have you mm-hmm. um, for personal use. Mm-hmm but not, so the, the law's is a funny thing, you know, you can't use the drugs that are designed to avoid the negative things that we associate with steroids. Um, so, but that would be a place, you know, if someone just thinking of a, a fantasy land where there's no legal ramifications to worry about, you know, if you can get whatever you want, use whatever you want, that would be a place where a woman might start.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but there's, you can't go too slow. Yeah. Um, the thing too, that's kind of a nice thing for women, I think is that because the normal antigen production is so low in women that, you know, going from, I mean, just two milligrams of anivar, five milligrams anivar is, is going to be, you know, that's going to be like a five or 10 fold increase in antigens, which will be noticeable. Um, this is the other thing. And this is my other sort of high horse with going down the road of of peds especially if you're doing that in conjunction with the prep mm-hmm. the prep messes with your mind enough yeah and i've seen this in varying amounts there are some women and i've, I've witnessed this um number of times where there there's a literally a personality change that comes right. about mm-hmm. yeah and you and some of that you know, sex drive will go up you know out the roof yeah. so You know, they literally like, okay, they can't even control themselves. They have to like, you know, keep themselves locked at home to avoid doing things they're going to regret down the road. Um, And some, it just literally, there can be a change there. And if that's, if someone wants that, then, you know, as long as you're not hurting anyone else, you know, psychedelics do that. Alcohol does that. Like almost everything we do is obviously to some degree, uh, an attempt to change our state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, Andrew Weil wrote a book many moons ago called the unnatural the natural mind and like there's not a culture that doesn't have some consciousness altering substance that's sort of part of its traditions or it's um, it's intertwined within its cultural rituals and things so we're always trying to do that that's what that's what winning the show is about it's to change your state of consciousness so it's all about this <laughs> so if you want to do that you know we're always on drugs we're trying to be on drugs yeah we're trying to change the the you know the levels of the neurotransmitters in our brain and drugs are acting largely through those neurotransmitter systems. Yeah.
0: I think it's um, pretty safe to say then most bikini competitors do risk everything that you've just spoke about, especially mm-hmm. at a pro level.
2: Oh, I think so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So,
2: so just knowing that, and you know, one thing I, I noted in, um, may have been, may have been in, in the chat that we had with Tom, mm-hmm. um, you know, a good thing someone can do, uh, a woman could do, is um, you know, it could, you could take a close up of her face just to see, you know, facial changes, those sorts of things. Do a voice recording. Voice
0: record, yeah, yes,
2: yeah, to see if your voice is changing. Um, just so you know, mm-hmm. just, I mean, there are there are I think there are, there are many there. Obviously, there are, there are people who feel like they were born into the wrong sex genetically, and they do they they do a sex change, mm-hmm. and there. are, also people who just they're like for them, and this is totally up to the person, they're more oriented with being sort of more male-like, so to speak, in the cultural understanding of what that means. Mm -hmm. So a woman who's genetically XX, who just feels like she's in her right place energetically in pursuing an androgenically driven state of mind through pharmacology, better living through drugs, so to speak. Mm -hmm. We're always doing that. Like that's not a that's not a, a knock on on better living through drugs. We're all, we're all doing this to some degree. We're, we're changing our state. Even someone who's just purely meditating, you're still seeking a a change of state. Yeah. So that's fine for some people, but being aware that what might be happening is um, is something that, and that uh, being aware that you're not going to be necessarily aware of what you're doing in the same way that you are now. Mm. And that you may have to go back to that place. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you're going to go, if you go into this bar, They've got like that vanilla smoke that they're you know, spraying, that actually is going to change your mind state. It's going to be a drug that may have you doing things that when you come back out, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a mut And guys are the subject of this too. This is what the whole roid race thing is. About.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, oh, definitely. You know, you've seen, you run into this before? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I've experienced yeah. that.
2: <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, but yeah, it's kind of a deal. <laughs> um, and, and you and you can't step out like can't know but you live inside there so to speak you live in your own head so the the guy for whom that's that's here I'm gonna I'm gonna can I give you my um uh my thought experiment that that is like kind of like it's one of the best ways that I know of to gain tolerance and understanding for others mm-hmm. okay so this is this is I love to I love to share this with people because it's so helpful for so many things so imagine um, and just think of put the uh, ethical concerns aside. That you have a time machine. You got a DeLorean. You can travel back and forth in time to whatever you want. And we you also have the scientific capability to clone yourself without a problem, and begin to create um, a clone to basically get yourself into a pregnant woman, your clone, and then um, you know see what happens. So you want to do the penultimate experiment of nature versus nurture, and see how. You personally, someone with your genetics, you genetically speaking, are affected by your environment, mm. by what's nurtured in you, by the world you grow up in, the level of the societal level that you live in, the state of poverty, of riches that you have, the culture, the time of the, you know, in, in the course of human evolution, past or future, not human evolution, but human recorded history, let's say, past and future. So you cop in your DeLorean. You go back and, you know, set up about a a dozen different mini case studies of yourself where you find a way that you won't disrupt the the time space continuum and you plop a version of yourself into into the womb of a woman that will grow and become a version of you. And then you, of course, with your time machine, you can immediately jump forward and go and find that version of you at the age of 19, let's say. So let's say with you, now we know a little bit about you. So you go and instead you put yourself into a society um, and if you may have to change skin color. So you mix and you don't look, you're not a Caucasian person where everyone's got darker skin, but you do mix yourself in. You can see what would have been like to grow up at a low in a lower caste in India um, in 1500, basically impoverished. Who do you become? Do you become like an enlightened master? Like literally you've done years of, you know, uh, meditation and, or you know, maybe you're a thief, you live on the streets, you steal and kill, you do whatever it takes to survive. You may be someone, assume you could speak the language, interact with the person, who you would not want to spend any more time with ever again, because <laughs> that's how the world shaped you. Or another set of circumstances, you could be someone who you would aspire just to become half of that what that woman has mm. become, because of the struggles that she was given, because she didn't you know, win beauty competition. She had to like fight her way through who knows what, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So there's a million and one different ways. If you sort of think about that. I, I know just, you know, personally, I could have become all sorts of things that are very different from who I am now. So imagine then that you have someone else, um, whoever it may be someone who is, um, you know, that maybe one of those, guys who you know got on gear and became an absolute asshole you know and (laughs) did a flip-flop personality-wise imagine then um if you went and um took his dna and put it in the position that his dna was in in his mother's womb and just let it go through the set of circumstances that led to him doing that he is exactly who he was because that's exactly who he would have been given those circumstances Mm -hmm. that brought him to the place where he actually did that.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: So it, it, I'm not going to, we don't want to go on entirely to the idea that you'll have any free will as far as, you know, your control over who you are and what you do in life and those sorts of things. But if you think about that wide range of possible, possible use, you could become someone who you wouldn't like very much at all. Mm -hmm. And it's just you. So we're, we are to some degree victim of our circumstances, I think.
3: Yeah. I agree.
2: theoretically so Mm -hmm. if you think about like you know that person is doing all that they could possibly do given the genetic cards they were given and the set of circumstances that played out and unfolded in their life and if i were them and here's the key point Mm -hmm. if i were them same genes same set of circumstances i would do exactly what they're doing Mm -hmm. exactly yeah So how can you criticize someone who's doing exactly what you would have done if you were them? (laughs) If you think about it with that context. So it's like, okay, I get it. Like you're an asshole. It doesn't mean I'm going to let you continue to be an asshole around me or do whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. But I can at least know that, you know, I can't criticize you too much because I would have been the same butthead as you're being. (laughs) (laughs) So that like is so helpful when you see someone cut you off or you see people doing things that just don't match with your set of ethics is that, you know, Mm -hmm. they would have Maybe done those things at the same time. So, um, if you see, you know, and then back to the context of PEDs and those sorts of things, um, and this is where some free will can come into place. Um, too, if you, if you see that, you know, you, you're, you've got a possible possibility here where you're going to partake of drugs that may actually change your perspective on continuing to use those.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I, and I wonder too, if sometimes there aren't athletes who who fall into that and maybe they're very successful. And they get carried away with the success. Um, if they don't, uh, when they when it all comes to an end, and they've won what they what they want, and then they have to come back to the sort of a normal state of mind, yeah. Uh, or they decide to, if um, they don't regret some of that. Those are maybe the athletes who just sort of vanish from the fitness world. They go away mm. um, because you know they they're now they're now they're not okay with the voice change that they have, or the changes that they made themselves and they don't have the muscle mass they once had. Yeah. And so just knowing that that is, you may be heading off in a path that you may not have any control over.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one to take home. Definitely.
2: Yeah. But as far as practical use goes, just with kind of everything get the most from the least Mm -hmm. is the way to, way to roll there. Women can like, I mean, think about if, Putting this contextualizing this again, if over the course of time, being very strategic and, and stepping back when sides start to come into play, which is a nice strategy, when the voice starts to change, drop things back, or do another compound or something, rotate, or avoid those sides at all costs. that's a primary priority. Mm-hmm. And you think about you know if I can gain muscle mass as, as a woman now with this, this very small amount, which five or ten milligrams is relatively small. That's kind of equivalent, roughly equivalent, especially if you've got good genetics or the antigen receptor, your, your five to 10 milligrams could be the same as 10 milligrams of testosterone in, in a less than average guy. You can put on the muscle mass or have the ability to do so that a guy would, the very small dose, and take your time, go slow. A yeah. woman, a, a bikini competitor with a men's level of muscle mass has too much muscle. <laughs> right? I think, yeah. you know, you're the expert. You tell yeah, me yeah. that's too much. So that's actually a good thing to know that, well, it it may only take if I'm strategic and I'm using, you know, part of the year, let's say coming off, allowing a menstrual cycle to restart. And that's a whole other topic too. Like that's one way to know that you've kind of come back women, have that as a nice litmus test, so to speak, that you could do that and accumulate, you know, one or two years over a five-year competitive career, so to speak, and and be literally at the muscle building um, level in terms of pharmacologically um, and anabolically in terms of steroid and, and, uh, and steroids that you, you got the growth potential of a guy mm-hmm. that you can make use of. And that's plenty. That's more than you need. Um, but you just got to take your time with it Yeah, and realize that once you get in, it's like when I, I, I've got a I ride a motorcycle and when I first got a bought a Harley V rod years ago, which is one of the fastest bikes on the road at the time. I remember getting on that bike and like I had a little strip that I could ride home and I'm like, man, this thing's just too fast. I'm gonna have to be really careful because I like this speed. speed. Yeah, I know. I was like, Wow, I have an even faster bike now. We won't get into the motorcycles, but I was very aware that like this has an addictive property for me and this is can have a dangerous property for me. And that's kind of what can happen. It's like all of a sudden, like you're making in three months, the gains that took you three years previously, because you're on and, and plus your mind's change. It's like, Oh, who wouldn't want that? You're just going to town, mm-hmm. you know, and you start posting things on social media, let's say, because you're making tremendous progress. You're doubling your followers. You're getting, I mean, if if you're someone who's a woman who and who doesn't like to be desired or like to get attention, I know sometimes the schmoes can be really, really, really over the top. It can get out of control, but it's nice to know that you're that you're attractive. If all of that is things you weren't used to getting and that resonates with you, Mm -hmm. like you can fall into a very, very interesting place where like, why would you stop? Right. Yeah. Especially if you haven't got the big picture in front of you. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That's no specifics of, of drug use, but um those <laughs> are, those are <laughs> interesting. so interesting. So interesting. Well, it is because the thing is, is like literally, it's kind of like if you ask, like, so the, the, the thought is like, you're going to want, like, well, should I add, do I need to add nitro to my car or do you need to add turbo to my car or should I get a bigger engine or should I widen my exhaust or change my gears or like, all these high-end things so I can become an absolute high performance operating machine. And it's like, no, you've already, like you've got in just small amounts of gear, the ability to turn, you know, what, uh, you know, a slow, a Pinto, the yeah. name a slow. a go a really slow vehicle <laughs> into a Ferrari for a woman mm-hmm. because you've got so much potential. You don't need to do anything fancy at all, especially mm-hmm. in bikini. You don't want to, the faster you go, then you're going to, you're going to blow a tire. You're going to have a, have a side effect. Yeah. So yes. as an example, something like someone who, um, who finds that they do well with the SARM, mm-hmm. there could be three kinds of SARMs that a woman chooses that they can get. And maybe Anivar and you might, and this is, this, this is kind of a step. This is a way that I pretty much, do, this is the same thing for bodybuilding almost everything. You add food in small amounts, get the most from the least and go progressively. Just like you add weight to the bar and go progressively, get more reps, higher weight. You would do the same thing with, with a drug protocol like this, avoiding the side effects. So if squats torque your knees, if you try to do them every, every week for, you know, more than eight weeks in a row, you stop at six weeks. (laughs) You don't go to let your knees get screwed, but, or maybe you start alternating squats with leg presses, with a leverage squat, with another exercise in place of that. So the same thing could hold true for um, a a PED regimen using SARMs. Well, you know, I can go to, you know, two milligrams of this SARM or five milligrams of this SARMs or 15, whatever it might be. And, you know, I I feel like I'm making good gains. I've got a situation where I'm keeping everything pretty much the same. I'm not changing my food. I'm not changing. My sleep's not changing. My training's progressive. Maybe the food's going up a little bit because you want that to happen anyway to support the growth. And this is a good, no side effect regimen. And I can run that, I think for a good five or six weeks and get nothing, no voice change, no facial hair, none of the things my, in fact, my menstrual period still, I still have normal menstrual flow. That's grandiose. That's great. And, and for what it's worth, that can also be going on with, you can have an ovarian cycle without a menstrual cycle that manifests as a period too. Mm-hmm. So that's worth knowing. And you're, and tr- you know, that, and I know your, yeah, yeah. your competitors too. So, um, that might be like, okay, we got a winner there. I got a little jet fuel I can add and I don't burn anything out in my vehicle. And, you know, but maybe there's something else I can do. So maybe you try another one and do take the same thing. Start with the absolute least amount, see what happens. You never know, like heard horror stories of guys who like, they get like, like the the one that happened, used to happen. would happen all the time is they get like a T 400, like 400 milligrams of test per mil just super high dose. And to do that, they got to put a lot, they've got to put a lot of stuff in there. that's going to make that shot hurt like hell. They're so excited to have this because it's like just put in four longer than once. And they get like this huge swollen injection site that get, turns into an abscess because they didn't try it out. It's like, just put like 50 in and yeah. see what happens in two days. Wow. You know, don't yeah. be, a, don't be dummy. <laughs> so <laughs> they do, do that very often. So the same thing with a woman, because a lot of those things, it's kind of a one way can be a one way set of side effects. Mm-hmm. So you add them in, 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 small amounts, if you decide you want to do that and, um, get the most, if you can get out of the, get out of there without getting burnt at all, so to speak with nothing coming about and you're making gains. Yeah. And again, big picture, how much do you want? Where do you want to go with this? Are you just trying to put on five pounds of muscle?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I'll add this, and then I'll and then I'll throw it back at you because I <laughs> have some questions. Um, the thing too is that um, I I think of this as kind of like the last for a woman, you know, unless she just wants wants to go to the higher level. I'm not trying to make anyone's decisions for them, but it's the last thing you might necessarily need to do mm-hmm. if you look at your training and you know you know what I haven't I don't have a good mind muscle connection. I'm not set up my my diet so that I'm I'm making sure that those are my best workouts when I'm working on my weak muscle groups. My goal is to put, you know, five pounds of muscle on my upper body. I need a little more upper body, excuse me, upper body muscle and my legs are great, or vice versa, whatever. And I haven't done everything I possibly could, dotted every every I, crossed every T to make those gains happen in a natural fashion. I'm mm-hmm. just looking for the quick and easy way. Then my thought is if a client was mine, I'm like, we're not we got a year of work to do like yeah. at least to see yeah. where we're going to go. And then if that doesn't happen, I tell you what, if you took someone, took a woman who's, you know, in the, in the range, she wants to like go from, you know, middle of the pack, second, third call out in a big show to the, to the top. And she's willing to put a, a really sizable amount of effort and focus on doing that naturally in bikini, let's say. Give her three years of single-minded effort; she's going to get there. Mm. Literally, I mean, even if it's just if she's you know ten pounds shy of muscle, you know, and she can get like four and three and two or something like that over the next four, four and three and two. What is that? That's nine pounds, pretty much. She'll get there in yeah. three years. It's yeah. not a lot on a month. It's doable. Um, and then imagine what you've learned
3: mm-hmm. that I'm you right. can sustain.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, like, so that's the other side of this is like, if you get to that level of physique, and of course, this is a very egotistical, can be very egotistical endeavor, then that's what you get, especially if you go there and you become sort of insta-famous and renowned, having reached that, and it's a drug-assisted situation, without Mm -hmm. having come up with the supporting pillars of training and diet and everything else, and then like, okay, so what do I do now? And I pull all that out. It's like, you don't know how to train to hold muscle mass because it was quote unquote all drugs. Yeah. Oh, then you're in a horrible place because your, your ego is just going to not what to do with itself. Mm. You're, you're, you're peeling away the costume. You know, you're, showing, you're peeling away the, the, the curtain and there's the wizard, you know, naked. You know, <laughs> Like, oh shit, you can see me now. And you know what to do. And that's a horrible place to be. So you can, you can set yourself up um either for having a lifetime of being able to hold a really impressive wonderful beautiful womanly physique if that's mm-hmm. where you want to go and where you want to be mm-hmm. um it may not be where you were when you're at your peak and using a little bit of stuff but you're going to be some semblance of that you'll be able to enjoy your training and know what you're doing not have to rely on someone else be confident in it yeah or you know you could be where oh shit i just going to have to keep on using small amounts of stuff and and I've seen that before I've, I've seen women who, um, and this is okay too. Like, if this is what you want to do, this mm-hmm. is actually okay. I'm thinking about this, this situation where someone's conflicted by their own behavior. That's yeah. a tough place. Yeah. Yeah. And I've known women who just like, they yeah. just stay on, you know, 10, 20 milligrams of vanavar, like all the time. and just stay there for years. Wow. And you can, yeah, you, know, you can see, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're, and they're badasses and they're amazing. And they're just, you know, they're just, you know, killing it in the gym all the time and that sort of thing. But that's just where they hang. That's yeah. Where they stay. And it's like, you know, that, that adds up over, you know, 10, Absolutely. 15, 20 years. Yeah.
0: So, so we've been on here for more than two hours. That's amazing. We're getting warmed <laughs> up. So yeah. now let's get in some real questions. Let's, <laughs> let's go to town, baby. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't want to keep you any longer because you've been amazing. Um, Thank you. And yeah, I would love to have you back on. There's loads, loads and loads of topics that we can speak about. And I'm sure that, you know, this is just the beginning for the first episode. Um, there's going to be loads of people asking me loads of questions. I, I do hope that, you know, the listeners have got, you know, some questions and they can feed back to us. Um, but how can people find you on social media and tell us about your book as well?
2: Oh, for one thing too, I, I yep. have to apologize because I tend to be kind of esoteric and I don't like give direct answers sometimes. Like people want to know, like, so what, so what am I supposed to take then? I don't know what, like, what should yeah. I use? You know, should yeah. it be Osterine? Is that what he said? <laughs> um, but if people have specific questions, so I uh, give me the specifics, then I'd be happy to give like kind of an applied example and work through any, like the nutrient timing, like the, what you gave, for instance, for that 50. Um, and I, I, don't know Are people, I see you looking over there. I imagine you're getting all sorts of comments as we're, we're speaking. No, I Facebook. haven't looked
0: yet, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: I will okay. do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well so, sometimes if people, you this carry it on, on talking, I'll have a little okay. look. Well, yeah, it's all good. Um, this happens on my podcast often where, um, we do listener Q and a and, you know, someone will throw out a question and I, I need a little more detail to give them an answer that makes more sense. So they just provide the detail so we could do that um and
0: i am got okay. your answer
2: go on i know i hate i hate, I hate when it happens um so we could uh we could do something like that where you know i can sort of help someone work through because those are always nice that the, the 50 grams a day example you gave i still had to like parcel out the different things I, i'd add in but once i have those specifics mm-hmm. we can dig in on a on a case study and that's yeah
0: i'd love to and what i don't want to do is i don't want to have scared clients and not just my clients, obviously females from it you know from the talking about performance enhanced drugs you know it can happen naturally it can happen you know if you are enhanced you know there's no way of of lying about that we're in the industry and we know it's massive you know we know that unless you're doing a drug tested um federation competition then likelihood is you are up against assisted athletes it's just the way it is Mm -hmm. And
2: yeah. We- yeah, And I don't, it's funny. Cause I mean, I gotta imagine like it's. I've seen so many people like doing just crazy amounts of stuff. Mm. You know, I don't like judge anybody based on mm. what they're doing. You know, it, it, like I said, even if, even if they're doing something that's harmful to themselves and others, it's like, I would have done the same thing if I were them. I could try to get them to not do that, but I can't, I can't really, I can't really ever judge something, someone. And I think that's one of the things is that for women too, and that's why it's considered taboo because these are, these are male hormones and they do have those physiological effects, but you know, women produce testosterone as well. Yeah. Very important for sex drive. That's why androgens typically have such an effect on sex drive. So this is just, I would be doing exactly what the 19 year old version of me is doing right now. If I were that 19 year old version of me or 20 year old or a woman who knows, gosh, who knows what I would have done if I were, you know, 20, 30 years younger and a woman, you know, who really loved bodybuilding. Yeah. I don't know. I mean,
0: uh, if I was 20 years younger, I'd be a pro. I would have been a pro, but I'm too old now.
2: (laughs) Well, I don't know about that's a challenge. No, that's not, that's not true. Not at all. How you, you know how old are you 30 40 40 40 yeah i think ronnie coleman did okay at the age of 40 i think he was doing all right about that time winning he'd won about two or three olympias maybe wow yeah
0: yeah i met him at the arnold's he was amazing
2: yeah, yeah. he's a great guy
0: he, he is tell us your story about Doreen yates
2: oh yeah yeah i forgot about that you better um, no you know i yourself. don't think
0: i'm gonna make it
2: <laughs> make what
0: going to see him because he oh he, shit, I'm sorry. It's okay, it's fine. He was um he was training somebody at six six pm. Um so is, I, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, it's okay, I, it's uh, fine. No, go on, go on.
2: Um I'd rather be you, learning. <laughs> uh, so he was actually funny enough, we we spoke about this. He was at that Swiss symposium in 2018, mm-hmm. the one where he did PDs. Um it was uh Doreen Yates. Um, ben Johnson, who was the world's fans, fastest man, he he had been he tested positive for Winstraw when he won, It's like the 88 Olympics, and then Carl Lewis ended up winning, but he like destroyed the world record at the time. And Bill Kazmaier. So we had the world's strongest man, the world's most muscular man, and the world's fastest wow. man, all on this. Yeah, Eric Serrano was there. Victoria Felcar was on the stage with me. Um, I, I was brought in because someone else couldn't make it. I don't know if I should probably say who that was, but and John Meadows and Dave wow. Tate um, knew, you know, Ken really well. And they, and Ken's like, I want, I want to get someone else to fill this person's um, place because this person couldn't travel. And he's like, well, like Scott's pretty smart guy. And I'm not like, you know, a steroid guru or anything like that, but they just threw my name up there. So Ken flew me up and I got to sit on this stage. It was a, it was an awesome symposium. We talked wow. for, yeah. Um, Darren Willoughby was on the, on the panel. Um, who else was there? Um People can go and check that out. It was really awesome. So, Dorian was up there at that in Canada. This is in Toronto. And um, so, I'm a bodybuilder. John's a bodybuilder. And a lot of people there, there are powers there, some strongmen there. But um, I don't know exactly why. It was like super flattering for me. Throughout the weekend, like three or four times, someone comes up to me, people come up to me and say, Dorian. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, no, (laughs) because all bodybuilders (laughs) look alike, right? You know? And I'm like, and Dorian was retired this time. So he wasn't, you know, of you know, at yeah. his, you know, peak size. How you and like that. Him. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I don't know how, you know, big he was relative to me. You know, I think he's, who knows? I, I can't tell, you know, but we all apparently look, look alike. I look at least a, enough, like a bodybuilder for them to think that I was a bodybuilder. And then people call me Dorian and people are always <laughs> asking like, they ask me like Dorian, like, what's your room number? And I'm like, I'm why do you think i'm dorian (laughs) like wrong hair color like everything so that happened throughout the weekend which was just the total flattering the whole time and then at the very um very end dorian was with his then still wife i think and she's from brazil Mm -hmm. and he was spending a lot of time in brazil and i kind of knew this so they were doing a very nice thing they were setting us up in cabs to have us driven back to the airport so we could fly home they really ken just totally took care of us i do just about anything for that guy he he did it's such a really nice, um, such a really nice symposium. It took care of his presenters and, um, and John would just where John and I first, we gave a couple of talks that weekend. So yeah. I did more than just the symposium. I always like to mention John, whatever I can. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah. Hi, John. <laughs> still... <laughs> yeah, I know. So I, even then, like I'm getting ready to leave, I'm setting up my cab for the next day. We're setting it up just to make sure we're all going the same place. And, um, So I set up the time and I'm talking with the woman. I talked to her the entire weekend and, you know, but she, but she's dealing with a hundred plus presenters and I'm like, okay, good. We're good to go. Great. I'll see you tomorrow at six o'clock for the cab. Um, And then I, so I'd turn to walk away and she's like, well, have a nice flight back to Brazil. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, hold on. (laughs) I'm not Dorian. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i need to go to tampa <laughs> so i almost ended up you know missing my flight or whatever Oh my word yeah, or getting on the wrong cab the wrong one. Sort of yeah it was so funny so the oh. entire weekend everyone thought i was dorian That's never happened before or since but because I mean, he was there yeah i was gonna all- say
0: it's not a bad person to be is it <laughs> yeah i know like, that's all right
2: yeah for sure <laughs> so that's my dorian
0: that's my dorian story um, but- yeah so where can they find you find you on social media then uh fortitude underscore training you mm-hmm. can just
2: type in scott stevenson bodybuilder and i come up pretty good with with google
0: yeah yeah you do oh. actually i was doing it the other day in the car when i was punching in and um, trying to find a good podcast of, with you and if you put it in spotify it, you literally come up like there's hundreds on there
2: are they yeah okay i didn't yeah, know yeah so that. i Did just
0: you... picked one randomly i was like i'll listen to that i've got loads to catch <laughs> up to
2: <laughs> right on yeah. It's not I didn't do a lot a lot of that. I just I think just because the podcast people do podcasts like yourself are really good at mm-hmm. the um search or, or search engine optimization. Yeah. And so that favors me. So doing podcasts is, you know, yeah, it's really smart. Good. Yeah.
0: We've got a lot to listen to. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Absolutely. Honestly, it's an absolute pleasure. pleasure. Um, but yeah, what I'll do is I will stop record. So, okay. the purpose of the podcast. All right. And then I'll go and get Zuki.
3: Oh, yes. <laughs> and we'll Definitely. go off air. Okay, cool. I'll wait. Okay, cool. All right.